drive wire. <laughs> yeah. Look, hey, David Ladd is here. Starting, yeah. up, starting the live stream. Starting the live stream. Four-hour show coming up. Yeah, one of the better the shows with David Ladd. David Ladd in a world with David Ladd. In a world with David Ladd. All right, I'm not watching this on YouTube, so I can't tell if the green light has come on yet. I'm going to assume that the green you're, light you're has come on. You're streaming on YouTube. You're streaming. We are streaming on YouTube. on YouTube. All right, so ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Coco Talk is going live in three, two, one. Last Yeah. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Streaming live on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. That's right, this show is Enjoyed the World Over. I am your host, Stevie Stroh, filling in for Grant Leedy, who could not be here today. He's getting his sex change operation reversed. He decided that he did not like having the innie. So uh, we're back here, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen. We are on Coco Talk, episode 64. We've got a jam-packed show in store for you today. On the show we have, oh, he's back from his operation already. Grant Leedy is here. Hey, Grant, how is everything? <laughs> Doing pretty good. Still going to kick your butt. <laughs> and what are you today, Grant? Male, female, on the fence? <laughs> I'm both today. <laughs> Actually, it looks like he has his beanie removed. Uh, where's your propeller, Grant? So. Oh, it's it's up there. <laughs> All right. So, Grant is here uh, from O Canada. We have L. Curtis Boyle. How's it going, eh? Going good, eh? All right. Beauty. Uh, we have from Arizona, the neighbor of Paul T. Barton. We got Ron Delvaux. Hello, Ron. That's right. <laughs> That's perfect. There we go. Well, how you doing, Yay. everybody? Special guest on the show today, Jay Cyril's back for us. Hey, Jay, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Hey, look at this. Uh, where are you, Bruce? We have uh, the Coco Forever guy, Force of Doom guy, Bruce Moore's with us. How's it going, eh? Uh, it's going good, eh? I'm bad. You're I, all I crunched in there. I believe he's back from his foreign assignment. I think he was off helping uh, with uh, foreign dignitaries. But Sir David Ladd, Lord of the Floppies, has returned to the show, and we are all better people for it. So thank you, David, for being here. Hello, everyone. <laughs> and uh, now we also have Rondell Vaux's neighbor, uh, creator of the No Can Memory Board and all kinds of other cool designs, Paul T. Barton's with us. Hey, Paul. Hey, Paul. Yeehaw. All right. <laughs> we got the guy who made clowns and balloons is with us here today, Mr. Steve Bjork. Hey, at least you didn't hey. say Zaxxon. I get so tired of that. <laughs> I, had to, I had to pause and think. I had to pull one from the uh, library there. <laughs> he said it himself. That's right. Hey, there's the old game. The thunder from down under, Mr. Nicholas Morentes is with us. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, everyone. All right. As seen at PenFest, CocoFest, KorgsCon, uh, Hamvention, and other places abroad, the Red Light District even, Jason, the Coco Man Rikard, maker of the switcheroo. How are you, sir? Doing great. Hi, everybody. Hey Hello. As, as seen in the upper balcony next to another grumpy old man, we've got the angry Muppet, <laughs> Richard Lorbieski, is with us. Hello. I'm here. 
AKA All right. Statler. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, we've got uh, sporting a very shiny apple in the background there. Mr. Mark D. Overholzer is with us. Hey there. Well, last uh, but certain. Go ahead. Sorry yep. about that. Oh, don't forget that Waldorf is uh, trolling us from uh, YouTube. Ah, okay. And then last but certainly not least, and uh, I don't got ice dropping in the background. Are we, in a, are we, are we live from a restaurant? Yeah, what's going on here today? Uh, order I didn't up. know we had a percussion section. Yeah, table for two. Uh, <laughs> yeah. James, James Diffendaffer, how are you, sir? Good, how are you doing? We're doing all right. So we're here. Everybody sounds good. Oh, good. We're here, episode 64. We have Scott Haley's here. Hey, good to see you, Scott. Nick Marota's here. Uh, we got all kinds of people in the live chat. Thank you all for being here. Uh, Paul Thayer is here. Retro Innovations is here. Nick Marota is in the live chat. Uh, Wayne Aaron is in the live chat. Steve Bjork's in the live chat. And Mark Overholzer, Scott Haley. Okay, so we got all kinds of people here in the live chat already. So we've got a couple of main topics. We've got a couple of announcements. We've got a couple of things to show off. So just to let you know what the plan is for today, boys and girls. Uh, well, we're going to start off our main segment. Steve Bjork is going to show us uh, the second part of our new assembly language series. So we've got a presentation ready for that. Um, we do have a topic today, Coco Hardware, which kind of just fell out of the sky based on some posts and activity in the Ow, Facebook group this week. Yes. So we're going to talk about a Cocoa Hardware. Uh, we're going to get that topic going. Um, we are going to uh, announce to the world that Cocoa Forever Part 4 is now available. Is it officially available, Mr. Bruce Moore? He's nodding his head. I, I heard something rattling there. Yes. Okay. So that was a yes. All right. So uh, Coco Forever Episode 4 is now available. Um, uh, we have, I'll show you guys a project update of my latest version of Cosmic Aliens and uh, also have other, a couple other cool things to share. So uh, that's the plan. That's our story. We're sticking to it. So going around the room, does anybody have a project update they want to share with us or recent acquisition? Anything cool you saw, heard, or did this week? Anyone? Anyone? Well, Try Coco One at the Reclaim Place. I think I talked to him down to 30 bucks. It's got a RCA jack and a video mod on it, so it does black and white without yeah. a TV. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think I saw keyboard that picture. Yeah, the keyboard <laughs> needs cleaning. I have to take it apart and clean it. Should be okay. Okay, that's Paul Barton, for those of you who didn't know. So Paul Barton got a Coco 1 this week. Hey, you got your Coco 1 yet? So um, so we got a Coco 1 this week. Cool. Nice Outside little... look really nice, too. Yeah, yeah. Very um, cool. I, I, I've put together a little video that compares the uh, composite output of ah. NTSC and power lift, you want. It was just something that was mentioned on the um, yes. Facebook group. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's just a short video just to compare the two yep, for people who don't know what power looks like. That did come up on the Facebook group. You want to go ahead and show that off now, Nick? Uh, well, if you've got anything right. else planned, I'll have to schedule up that, that video okay. first. Okay. All right. So we have that on the docket as well, too. Well, the, the, the question did come up on composite artifacts, uh, PAL versus NTSC. What do they look like? And so, um, so Nick has got some stuff he's going to show us. That's very cool. Um, anybody else got a project update going on so far this week? No, I was going to wait till we talk about hardware. Yes. Uh, okay. For a big announcement. 
Yep. Okay. Very, very good. I got uh, a couple of quick things. Okay, Bruce, you're raising your hand there. We're not in school, but I'm raising. Okay. I'm raising my <laughs> okay. hand. Well, I'm Canadian, so. Yeah. Uh, He's sorry. I've just been having. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, apologize. Uh, just been experimenting with uh, Basic 09 uh, the last little bit, and um, kind of digging into that with a lot of help from Curtis. And, okay. Uh, you know, got code running, and you know, promptly had a Windows crash and lost it all. But I've, I've still, you know, retained <laughs> retained much of what I've learned. <laughs> Okay. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to, to actually see some stuff come up on the screen and know I'm not running an RS DOS. Yeah. It, it was like, yeah. wow, look at that! It it actually all worked, you know. So yeah. I've got another. Yeah, I've got another game <coughs> idea that my brother gave me, and uh, I don't know. I'm certain. I'm thinking it's it might happen if I can get all my ducks in a row. Excellent. See, cer Excellent. Certainly need uh, need lots of help from uh, other people in the community to do it, but uh, you know I've gotten the help before and it's really paid off. So. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. Yeah. I was going to say I'm, I might want to pick your brain when that time comes, but we've got Curtis uh, as well to lean on. Um, and Wayne I'm, Campbell. And Wayne. Hey, yeah. You, you know what we could do? We could have Curtis kind of do like what I'm doing with the assembly. He could do lessons on how to use OS 9. Problem is, it might take three years. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. It's not about. a Skype. Uh, uh, Curtis, it's and, just a uh, Skype on OS 9. And that's just the bug reports. Um, <laughs> how about a tutorial on Basic 09 since we have yeah. a user who's yeah. experimenting? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of what we were alluding to, yeah. I have um, thought about yeah. that because I'm actually doing some modifications to Basic 09 that will cover both CPUs. I might wait until that part's finished because then you might have some new options to do in there too that don't exist right now. Yeah. And then you and then you run it through your, your ease of use and it'll it'll just woohoo. It'll just be quick and easy. Well that's the other thing too. I want ease of use to be part of that too because I don't want to try to explain all the nitpickings of how to make custom boot files and all this kind of crap. I just want to say yeah. like, here's a here's an image, download it, throw it on your SDC or yeah, VCC or AIM or crap. whatever and fire it up and then we'll do the tutorial from there. We just want to write stuff. Get on with it. That's it. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> exactly. Don't want to be fixing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, in, I'm in favor of that. I'm also in favor of learning a little bit more about using an IDE because I find myself already in basic struggling with that. And as I'm getting ready to jump into assembly, I'm going to want to have some ease of use for that stuff too. So I'm going to want to pick a few brains there on the most efficient way to work on a project and, you know, through an emulator and things like that. Mm. Um, very cool, very cool. So we have a Coco Cat here, Jason the Coco Mans. We got Cat <laughs> Cat number one has made its appearance. It's now officially an episode of Coco Talk. Oh, I see clowns and balloons in the background there. Um, yeah, so Richard Richard has some things to show us, which we will um, unveil when we get to the hardware discussion part uh, later in the show. Uh, anybody else been working on anything this week they want to share with us? Yeah, I started. Uh, I'm looking into doing a basically trying to do a tra uh, transcode of the original Karatika for the Apple II-E to uh, 6809. So cool. that's very early on, but I've started looking into doing that. So that's oh, been that's uh, cool. interesting thus far. Yeah. All right, do me a favor, Ron. Kill. I see, I see the bumper sticker. My other computer is a Radio Shack computer, but there you go. <laughs> Ron, Ron just hijacked the show there with his bumper sticker. So that was Jay Cyril that was just saying that. So you've got, you're working on a transcode of Karateka. That's kind of cool. Uh, that's a pretty cool game, and it's going to be for Coco 3, I take it? Yeah, more than likely. I, I want to use, I'm probably going to use ROM calls for uh, 
uh, disk access and such. So I'm going to probably standardize on the Coco um, 3 with a uh, disk controller. So that will probably be where I'll end up. So whatever's available, that's what I'll be using there. Okay. Very cool stuff. Cool stuff. All right. Looks like Rick Adams is joining the fray here. Good afternoon, Rick. How are you? Hello. Joining late, I see. Yeah, you're just in time. Uh, we're just in the project updates part of the show. Anything new going on with you this week? I just got a lot done on my game. That's about it. Okay. Uh, so I've, I've got the the enemy AI almost, like about two-thirds done. So that's real progress for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's about yeah. it. Okay. Very, very cool. All right. Well, I will... Um, uh, there's a couple of things I want to show you guys, and then I'll show you some of uh, a little bit of project updates of what I've been working on this week as well. So uh, let's go over here to my full screen section of the show. All right, so number one, uh, I, I captured these numbers this morning. As of this morning, we were 9,300 downloads on our podcast. That's lifetime audio and video, and that's a respectable number. So I want to say thank you to everybody who has watched and listened to the show last week's episode on youtube got 140 views the audio podcast got 49 downloads video podcast 74 for a total of 263 so that's that's a little bit below average but you know who knows it's the summertime people got other things to do who knows i wasn't but, here last week either ah. oh so that's so there's there's uh jason wasn't here when jason's not on the viewership goes down all right so here's an interesting thing that i came across now too just looking at the numbers right now on our podcast the most downloaded episode right now is uh, a video episode so right now our video podcasts are quickly becoming the most consumed um, products off of the podcast sphere there so i thought that was kind of interesting and it was the memorial day weekend um and it actually um, has that's episode video episode 59 has out downloaded an audio episode 22 that's been around for a while. So, so I think the fact that we've made these available as video podcasts, um, the people are reacting and the people are downloading. So that's good. That's why we create this show. All right. Now, I also looked at some pretty cool statistics here as far as some of the demographics and what countries we're in. Obviously, in the United States, we are uh, the top one, but Australia is the second largest country to consume our show more than canada or the united kingdom combined so i want to say wow. thank you good eye to everybody in australia out there and the fact that there's almost a thousand downloads that's more than just nick and brian joyce so there's yeah. gotta be well it could be uh, nick and brian joyce you know 20 times an episode just to spike their numbers <laughs> so uh, and then canada united kingdom well, come in it's trying to understand the uh, American accent. We have to keep playing it back over and over. <laughs> yeah, does that include upside down downloads? Yeah, just turn, just right turn, yeah, turn right. your phone upside down when you play it, right? So I thought that was interesting that Australia is the second uh, largest consumer of the show. And then when we look at where we are in the United States, um, California and Texas, so it's kind of like the mid to the western part of the U.S. are the biggest consumers of the show. Um, and, and in my own my own backyard, Florida, these 213 downloads, that's probably just me. <laughs> so I might be the only I might be the only person in Florida listening to this train wreck, right? So um, but I thought other that was interesting. Yeah, uh, other, right? Yeah, so that who knows where, where that is, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting, just looking at hit some the, of those. Hit the uh, view all, would you? Oh, darn it. 
Uh, that's that's a um, that's a copy and paste. Of, oh, okay. Um, of that. All right. So uh, other projects I've worked on this week, just kind of looking at my YouTube thing here. So I have released a, a bunch of more of my basic uh, videos over the past week or so. I'm up to I believe chapter 31 out of 34 or 35 chapters. So. I'm almost done with the book. I, I set a deadline to finish by the end of June. Today's technically the end of June. I might miss it by a day, but hopefully have it done this weekend. But I'm trying to stay on that target there. So a bunch of videos. I actually released some Coco gameplay videos too, starting with uh, Clowns and Balloons from that guy who made Clowns and Balloons. Uh, that was kind of fun to play. I did some Demolition Derby and some Demon Attack. And playing Demon Attack gave me an idea on what to do uh, for for cosmic aliens, so that's a little bit of my week, and I'll show you one more thing, and then I'll shut up. How do I get back to this? All right, we're back on Skype, and then boom. All right, so what I'm showing you right now, this is the latest versions of cosmic aliens. This is version seven, and I've made some compromise choices in in the game that I think, for the most part, make it look like it's running faster. Still the same hardware. But as you can see here, the aliens seem to be popping around pretty quickly. You also see that one of them's dropping bombs, but only one of them is dropping a bomb, and I got that idea from Demon Attack. Um, and I can I can also move my ship left and right, and you can see here again the illusion of speed is pretty good because I'm moving um, 16 pixels every single time. So I'm I've kind of made the screen into a checkerboard, and I'm moving an entire checkerboard square. I'm not like sliding between squares. I'm hopping over from one square to the other. And I can fire lasers, so my laser shot's moving. So I can move, the bad guys can move, bombs can fall. And I think the, the clip rate for this is a lot better than how it um, looked before. So that's kind of where I am with this. And um, I got nice. more things to work on, but I think it kind of looks and feels a little smoother. It almost feels more like a playable... Um, type game at the moment. Is is that running on the Coco three? No, this um, is running. Clock? This is uh, running on a Coco two right now. I think I am using the 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 high speed poke half for speed. for ROM. Yeah, uh, the half speed boost. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so this is Coco two with the with the ROM poke, and I don't know. Yeah. It seems seems to be okay right now. I've got yeah, to work out. Bad. I got to work out collision detection next. So I, mentally, I think I know what I'm going to do now. Just physically, I got to crank it out. Um, oh yeah, so Nick Morota says I watch clowns and balloons and I loved it. Uh, Wayne Aaron says I am uh, promoting Co I am promoting Coco Talk at Sam's Club again. So he's wearing the shirt. You know what you should do, Wayne. You should be like those people who give out samples. Get like a little booth. Right, and just sit there with your shirt and hand out pamphlets. Have we talked to you about cocos lately? Here, <laughs> have you heard about the cocoa? So <laughs> I can pass out little cubes of cocoa talk on toothpicks. <laughs> oh, he said he just got his order for, in for his RGB discard cable too. So that's cool. We just got trolled. So yeah. So uh, Boyce on Tech says, "Have you made it to level two? All right. So. Um, <laughs> So that's my project update. I think everybody else got their project update in. Let's do this. Oh, so here's one more thing I want to show you guys. So, um, and we'll 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 do this during a during a commercial break. But earlier this week, um, Ron Delvo had posted in one of the groups that there is a band called TRS80, and they make electronic music. Did anybody see that? 
and they got and they got a really cool. Well, they've got lots of music videos, and their music videos, very stylistically, kind of I think pull from a lot of like '60s, '70s era stuff. So they've got like this kind of Barbarella, Raquel Welch looking girls with the hair, and like the '60s go-go dancer type clothes and stuff. So they've got this really cool visual theme to this really cool electronic music, and the band is called TRS-80. So that in itself is kind of cool, right? And so Ron says, well, why don't we play it on Coco Talk? And I'm like, well, that's a good idea, but I've already been, you know, I've been slapped on the wrist by YouTube a few times of copyrights. So I actually reached out to the band uh, through their website, through their email, and also through Facebook. And as of this morning, I actually got an email back from the band and he said, yeah, thanks for the kind words and getting in touch. Feel free to feature our music on your show. I'm enjoying what I've seen of it, and I will check out more. The TR City was my first exposure to computers as a kid, and it just sounded like a name that didn't instantly pigeonhole the band. That's mostly why it was selected. I'm still a fan of what's considered to be vintage, too. Uh, new album is in the works. Um, and then he went on to say, oh, yeah, and I still um, I still own a Model 3 TRS-80, and I've even rented it out for a couple of TV commercial shoots when contacted through the website, and I fire it up on occasion. So um, I, I've kind of been given the blessings by the band TRS-80 to feature some TRS-80 content, so I thought uh, maybe during one of our commercial breaks we'll, we'll play one of their music videos. So we'll play the one that Ron Delvo um, shared out on Facebook. It's pretty cool. And, and it's, I mean, I'm going to be perfectly honest. There's half naked women dancing, and there's nothing not to like about that. I'm just going to throw <laughs> it out there. I mean, hey, I'm a guy, right? But it's artistic, it's stylistic, and it's very tastefully done. So, um, so we'll play that later in the program. Um, now, the theme today, um, once we finish talking about assembly, but our main, um, our main um, <coughs> topic today is going to be hardware. So in, 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 in the spirit of that, getting into um, updating our sponsor sheet, I've tried to include now most of the hardware vendors out there who have websites who are selling hardware to the public. So I've squeezed in a whole bunch of more stuff on our sponsor page right now. So uh, for those who are not familiar, um, we have the Coco VGA project, which is a way to add high quality output to a Coco 1, 2, and Dragon. Uh, with VGA and it supports artifacting and a lot of extra modes. So you want to check that out at CocoVGA.com. We have with us on the program Mr. Richard Lorbieski of Boyson Tech, a maker of fine quality products. And so you want to check them out at BoysonTech.com. We also have with us trolling the live chat, Jim Brain of Retro Innovations. And Jim makes a lot of hardware, not only for the Coco, but for the TI and the Commodore and things like that. Um, I would be remiss to also not mention the fact that Cloud9 Technologies has been making fine quality cocoa hardware for gosh 20 years or more uh, so check them out at cloud9tech.com and uh, the SD pack project pretty cool if you want to make a SD card boot like a ROM cartridge if you have not already gotten yourself a switcheroo then head on over to coco3scartcable.com or cocoman.biz grab yourself one of those we are hopefully live on Roku have you guys anybody verified we if we're on Roku okay we're so, on it so check us out on Roku on the Coco TV channel, uh, hosted by Roger Taylor. Uh, we have uh, oh new products. I got to talk about that too. The poster I made, right? So we do have a new product on the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com. So remind me to talk about that later. Um, I'm a coconut.com a website where you can go to find out all kinds of cool stuff. To find it, to talk to us. Go to cocotalk.live for email feedback. Let's not forget the CocoCrew.org, um, which is the Coco Crew podcast, the original, the one that started it all. Uh, we are our good friend Brian Joyce and Nick's neighbor. 
extract us productions makers of our best of episodes what did david ladd break this week and all kinds of other cool content fd501.com also ed snyder the zipster also maker of fine quality hardware available at the zipsterzone.com so make sure you check out all that stuff and so we've been trying to be fair and balanced there and mention most of the people who've got a website i got you mentioned um how about we do this before we go to commercial we're going to let everybody know that forest of doom not forest of doom hello coco forever too many projects there bruce coco forever forever coco forever Coco Forever, episode Just four. Just get it out, will you? Yes, episode four is now that's available. That's why you're not allowed to design banners anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all right, so Coco Forever, episode four. We're going to play that right now, and, uh, and we'll be back in just a moment. Available now. Hi there, this is Mark Overholzer, and you're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly talk show where you can join in. Hey, come watch us and see what's happening in the world of Coco. We will return after these messages. Oh, and David's here, so in honor of David Ladd. One man, one legend, one old fart. Oh, Deskmate, that's going to become a big winner. <laughs> Taking the world by storm. It's better than scripts, right? Quill and Pen is better than scripts. Clearly superior. Tandy. You like me when I get angry. Yes. <laughs> so true. My my royalty checks better clear or I'll get angry. <laughs> All right. So we are on the program. Who else has just joined us? We've got an anon. Oh, Terry Steen has has joined us. Hey, Terry. How are you? Hey, Steen. Hey. Hey, how are you? Uh, so Terry Steen is here, maker of Balloon Fire and many other quality products here. Um, so we got a lot of assembly programmers on here. We're going to be jumping into our um, our new segment uh, that's happening now, which is assembly language. And so um, 
our very own Mr. Steve Bjork has is, is working on a, a nice introductory crash course to assembly where we're going to learn things in baby steps. We're going to build a foundation, and we're going to learn the language. So this is cool stuff. I am going to go ahead and now switch over to the presentation, and we're going to let Mr. Bjork tell us what is going on here with our latest entry into this uh, new segment. How about we play a little bit of Curtis's custom music here to, to start it off. Woo! I like the sound of that. Just about so, woke okay. me up. <laughs> well, hopefully you won't have to play that again after I'm done because I put the people to sleep. <laughs> any case, this is definitely lesson number two. We're still in the foundation section. Now we're going to talk a little about memory. And as I said, we're going to keep this stuff short and sweet each week. We're not going to get bogged down in a lot of details. Just enough foundation. And then we'll actually get into the actual um, writing stuff in assembly. But there's just some stuff that you, you need to know. And okay. why don't you go ahead and go to that next slide. Okay. Well, as we talked about before with lesson one, um, information is stored in the computer as numbers. And it doesn't use the same sort of numbers that we're typically used to, like 3.14159. I won't do that to you. But, you know, basically, pie, uh, right? real. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I could do it up to about 100 places at one time. And then I gave up when I had a friend that could do it to 500. And I said, <laughs> oh, that's a little ridiculous. Anyways, um, but the computer works with numbers that are basically binary, on and off, and we can put bits together. That's the individual ons and off. And typically, the 6809 uses 8 and 16-bit numbers. So it's very easy to do a number from 0 to 255 or 0 to, you know, 64K. And... The, this is basically how the computer stores its information in general is numbers. You know, you can do calculations, you can reference things, but, you know, this is basically how they does. Now, the thing is, we've talked about numbers, but where in the heck do, does the uh, 6809 put these numbers? And that's what we're going to cover today is basically where you could store your information and your numbers in the computer. Now, there's two places you can do it in a 6809. The first one that's real simple, really fast, is what we call the registers. These are storages that are built inside the computer that you can reference in assembly language. Uh, you've got the A and B accumulator. They're for doing math work uh, when you're adding information together, comparing, and, and like that. Then you have the X, Y, U, S, and the PC register. PC stands for program counter and the direct page. These registers are used for referencing where in the in the outside memory things could be used. They could also be used for doing 16-bit math too. But this is stored inside the CPU and it gives you instant access to that information. Now then there's another thing called your 64k of memory that's out there and basically with that you're looking at um, you got a lot of places you can store stuff 
lot more than the few that you have in the register. The problem is it is outside and it takes a little while to access it. And why don't we go ahead and go to the next slide now. Okay. This here is a little graphic I put together that kind of shows what's inside the CPU, showing the registers, and then talking the outside. Got somebody with a very noisy mic out there. I think it's pull, pull button. Getting a little yeah. bit of a ground hum there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, getting back to that. The reason why it takes a while to get to the 64K of memory, as said, it's outside the CPU. The computer actually has to go out to the ramp, grab it, and come back in. It's a much slower process than just using the internal CPUs. Think of it kind of like, and I'm going to steal this one from Curtis. You got a tool belt on you. You're doing work around the house trying to fix things. Now, the tool belt's handy because the parts are there. You know, your tools are handy to get to, but you have a limited number of slots on your tool belt that you can carry things around. And so when you're doing your project, you load up the information that you need, the tools on the tool belt, and you go out there and start work. Well, all of a sudden you realize you need another tool. Don't have the space on your tool belt. You've got to go outside to your uh, garage and get your tool from there and then go back to work. You can see having to get that tool slows down your work. And But see, that's the reason why we've got this extra memory outside the CPU is so that you can have lots and lots of tools. It just takes a little while to get it and bring it back. Gotcha. That's that's pretty much what's going on is is you have this limitation between inside tools and outside tools. Now the 6809 it's much better than the 6502 in that respect because it only really has like four tools or four registers inside the CPU. And they're only eight you, bit. Yeah, and they're only eight bit. Takes a lot of work. 6809 is mostly 16 bit tools, and you got a lot of them. Now, of course, the 68000, the big workhorse computer from processor from Motorola, that had 16 16 bit registers. And that meant that you could, you basically had a big tool belt on there. Yeah. And that helped. So, that's the thing is, as the processors got better, they had more slots on their tool belt so that you didn't have to keep running out to the garage to grab that extra tool. So that's really what's going on here is we have to, later when we get into actual assembly, we're going to be looking at these quick things on your tool belt compared to the stuff that's stored out in regular RAM. Okay. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Well, the advantage of using internal registers, we pretty much went over. It's, you know, you don't have to take the time to get the information from outside the CPU. Uh, commands like increment A, uh, basically, that's working on the registers that's inside the computer. The instruction is just one byte. See, that's the thing about, about the 6809 processor is that instructions can be anywhere from one byte to about four bytes. There's exceptions, and we'll go into that later. But, you know, the more bytes that instruction takes, the longer it takes to execute. You have to go out, you know, the, the, but the thing is, the internal registers you can work with very quickly. And, um, by the way, in the case of the 
increment A, that's only takes two clock cycles. Everything in the CPU is done on these clock cycles. That's how it basically organizes how it's doing something. And it's something that you have to deal with yourself in assembly because if you take a lot of clock cycles, it's a slower program. If you can come up with a way of doing the program faster in less clock cycles, it runs faster. Um, just like when you do the high-speed poke mm -hmm. and the computer's running faster, your clock is running faster. It's making the CPU run faster. Gotcha. So th these clock cycles are important. Um, of course, the real limit, as I mentioned before, on the... Um, 1609 CPU is you have a limited number of internal registers to store stuff and you know you have to just design your program around those issues why don't we go ahead and go to the next slide oh there's a lot of good advantages of the uh, external RAM uh, you can store up to 64k we're going to be looking mostly at the Coco 1 and 2 and how it does things Coco 3 has got some extra hardware that can do more than 64k but Basically, we're looking at an internal 64K of RAM. Um, now, the internal index registers can be used to point to RAM. See, like, when you're looking at using the registers in the 6809, you say a piece of, a specific register or specific bit of information. But if you're using an index register to point to a memory location and do stuff, similar to the way you do a peek and a poke, Mm -hmm. uh, you can peek and poke in BASIC using an absolute number, like um, uh, hex 71 or something. But you could also use a variable to point to the location. Well, the registers are kind of like that. It's using a variable to point to a memory location. Of course, the disadvantage is it takes more time to get that information out of there. Uh, an ink RAM location where you're incrementing a RAM location typically is a, uh, can go up to about four bytes, depending on how you're doing it, and it can be up to eight clock cycles. So um, depending on what you're doing, you're actually looking at situations where it's taking four times longer to do the instruction. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. What I've got on the screen, and don't let it scare you, is actually some instructions in assembly language. Um, one popular instruction is increment. Because one thing that we'll constantly do in the CPU is we'll add just one or subtract one, the number one, from whatever we're doing, whether it be internal register or memory location. So instead of having to sit there and say the command add one, which has a lot of, it's a longer instruction because it's got the data in there, there's the increment and decrement registers, which help a lot to speed up the program because they're simple and they do that. In the case of increment A register, um, it's only one byte long, takes two clock cycles. Now, if you want to sit there and specify any memory location in the 60, um, 64K, that's where the ink um, extended mode comes in. That's below that. And you can see by the table there, it is three bytes long. It's a lot longer than what a uh, inking an internal register is. So, it since it has to go out to the memory to get all three bits of the instruction, it's a little slower to execute. 
Now, one of the things that they try to do with microprocessors is come up with ways to make things smaller is they have something called DP or direct page. This is, in the beginning, it was always the first 256 bytes of memory. And the 6809 allows us to make that direct page, this special 256 bytes of memory, anywhere in the 64K. So when it wants to do this, um, let's say, ink memory location 85, it's those two bytes there. As you can see, it only has to do the 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 address and the actual instruction. Much shorter. And the final one down, yeah. And the final one down below is one of the ones that gets really big. That four bytes. We're incrementing something off the index register. And so you have the instruction, then you've got the index mode. That's what that um, uh, the, the six, I can't see it on my monitor, it's uh, 86 or whatever it is. That tells it that's using the X register and it's going to sit there and offset it by, by a 16-bit number. And then the next two is uh, 04 and 00, that represents 1024. So that's the thing that we're going to be playing around with in upcoming lessons, is figuring out the best way for you to access RAM for that particular instruction you're doing. But I just want you to get an idea. There's different ways to access information based on what you're trying to do and the pros and cons of it. Some of them are really fast, like the Ink A, because it's talking to the A register inside the CPU, so it's incredibly fast. But you can get ones that, like the ink A, I mean the ink at, well, off the index register down at the bottom, that can take up to eight clock cycles to execute. Wow. And it can be a lot slower. So there are balances you can do to things to speed up stuff and like that. One, one thing I wanted to mention on the Ink 10184, just to make it a bit more clear, maybe for some people, you were mentioning before you can use index registers as like a variable. Like you want to yeah. load a memory location like X equals 1,000, peak X gives you whatever's in location 1,000. In this case here, it's actually combining a math add and a variable. So it's taking X plus 1,024, and it's getting the, it's incrementing whatever's at that memory location combined. Exactly. So if X was 1,000, it's, it's 2,024 is where it's actually going to go. And that's one of the powers of the 6809 is you have all these extra addressing modes and stuff here. You don't have to like pre-add X and do all this other kind of stuff and then go to it like you have to do on some of the older CPUs. You can actually do this all in one instruction. So while it looks like it takes a ton of extra time to do, it's actually probably still faster than having to do X equals X plus blah, 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 then inc X type thing. So just yeah, wanted to yeah, if you're trying to do the same thing 6502, where you got a 16-bit offset like what we're trying to do here, uh, that would could actually be close to about three or four instructions instead, uh, just of one. To, instead of one instruction. So a lot of people sit there and say 6502 is really fast. I'm going, yeah, but you're very limited on how you can do it. So the 6809, that's one reason why I've always enjoyed programming the 6809. It was never about trying to find some way to do something it was trying to find the best way there is always an avenue to do something and you just would just write as you got used to the 6809 you would write better and better code that was more efficient 
but you could get in something in there pretty sloppily and it'll work but then you've got to go through and uh, make it a little bit more efficient but uh, yeah why don't we just uh, last little slide here is talking about you know next lesson is going to be on the memory addressing really understanding how we're trying to use these dress modes, what they are, what's the best case scenario for doing a particular operation. And as we go through the series, we'll actually get into the instruction sets, trying to use the instructions to do different procedures and like that. So it, it, this is going to be baby steps. We're, we're taking it very simple and very slow. And now let's hear it from the peanut gallery. Does anybody <laughs> any have any or questions or comments? <laughs> And I'm sorry, I haven't been following the uh, uh, sidebar chat. I... Yeah, uh, I'm gonna, you just I'm gonna... mentioned that the six. You mentioned that the sixty-eight thousand had sixteen-bit registers, and technically they're thirty-two-bit. Just yeah. that comment. Yeah. Yeah, they're thirty-two. <clears throat> you can use them as eight, sixteen, and thirty-two-bit registers. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, it was definitely a lot easier to access a lot of memory with the 68,000 than it was with the 8086 processor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you, don't I like like, se you don't like segmented memory? <laughs> That's no. the whole thing. Is <laughs> <laughs> It was know, a sloppy it, rendition of 16-bit. Yeah. And, you know, it just... That's the problem. It is sloppy. Well, they're trying to be efficient on the instruction set. I will grant them that, but it made it hell. Uh, basically, what they did is they put in a memory management unit into the CPU so it could access more than 64K of memory. And in their wisdom, the way they set up, the maximum amount of memory you could access on the 8086 was one megabyte. That doesn't seem like much these days, does no, it? No, no. I guess they, back then it did. Well, it's just like they put 64K on the original PC, and then they said, oh, you'll never need more than 10 times that amount of memory. So they were well, They even reserved like 384K for I.O., didn't they? Yep. On the IBM itself. And back in those days, uh, there was a way they would put one meg of RAM in there, and they would do stuff to kind of window it in. So we had all these special boots so you could play your games because those programmers would never work within the spec of how much memory was on a typical machine. No, they had to get extra memory because they couldn't code it efficiently enough to use the memory that was there. Now, Rick will definitely agree with me. When you were coding on the Coco, you knew how much memory you had. You had to make it worth work within that memory. And that was it, right? Uh, an interesting side note is that uh, uh, I noticed in the code for Shanghai, there's a little code on startup to see how much memory the game is taking, and if it's more than will fit in the cartridge, it dings a little bell. And that was what, well, while I was developing it, so I could tell, oh, you made it too big. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And that's in the actual, you know, production cartridge. It'll never, it'll never ring, but uh, but it's there. Oh, Rick, if you had any copy protection on there, the patches they would do, they would use more memory. 
I definitely right. have a few of those. Yeah, I never really put in any copy protection. Uh, for Shanghai, actually, they asked me for copy protection, and I didn't want to do it. So after they mentioned that they wanted it, I didn't really say anything, and it never came up again, so there isn't any. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I had somebody uh, email me once. He was a, a famous guy in the community who, who liked to crack copy protection. He said, you're no fun. <laughs> I think I know the guy that you're thinking of. He's, he's the guy that came up with the uh, crack for the first version of Zaxxon. Actually, one, one thing, Steve, I wanted to, to, to mention, because it's kind of ironic with you, um, is that one of the forms of copy protection for ROM cartridges was self-modifying code, because you try to overwrite the ROM. Of course, if you're trying to overwrite read-only memory, it doesn't do anything, but if you've copied it to RAM, you're destroying your own program as you go. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, my random number routine actually would be used to try and write to the ROM, so it would randomly kill memory. So every time it happened, you had nothing to really show where the copy protection code was. You know, it wasn't like there's was a big thumbprint up there saying, I'm doing this. It was, it was a lot of random. But we had to do it because piracy was a big problem back then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just find it ironic because you're, you're not a, a normally a supporter of self-modifying code, yet that would be the one case. Yep. <laughs> Uh, any other comments, questions, uh, added thoughts about what uh, Mr. Bjork has already presented to us? And re remember, we're trying to keep it light for right now, but definitely for those of you who've got some insider knowledge, if you want to. Well, did you understand everything, Steve? I guess you, you want to have yourself as kind uh, of yeah, the uh, Yeah, so um, the, the, some of the, because um, what I like to do is I, for me to grasp a concept, I try to find a metaphor for something else that I already understand and, and say, is it like this? And mm -hmm. so some of the stuff that I was seeing with the registers versus RAM is very similar to some concepts we have on the modern CPU. For example, like a CPU now has got like L1, L2 cache which is internal memory that makes things run faster than having to go out to the system bus and talk to RAM. So these concepts have obviously existed for a very long time. Um, and you, you want be, and some of these things have to do with the laws of physics, right? How quickly can a circuit travel? And so obviously inside the CPU is always going to be the fastest communications because it doesn't have to go out through trace wires to then you know have some speed limits on it. So electronically, I kind of get that. Another kind of analogy would making me think of this is kind of like when you have real RAM versus virtual RAM, right? So you want to try to have things in real RAM because that's faster, but sometimes you got to go out to virtual RAM on an old Windows PC, and then that slows things down. So the more you can keep it internal and keep it electronic and keep it in a core, the faster it's going to be. But exactly. the, the, the amount of space you can fit, is it's a very small box. So you've got speed, but you've also got size constraints on how much you can hold in that small fast box right yep and that's actually a very good analogy with with the caching thing because like a level one cache versus a level two cache is kind of like the registers versus memory yeah in a very coarse way and uh i mean people sometimes ask well why didn't you just put it all in the cpu make a 64k ram built in the cpu all running at that really right. fast speed right. well cost and, and the cost. footprint of the chip complexity a bunch of things come sure play there. sure yeah when i used to explain cache to my students that i'd always say like you know it's like you know, when a plane crashes, the the one thing that survives is the black box, right? And so you might just say, well, why don't we make the entire plane out of whatever they make the black box out of, and it would never 
get destroyed. Well, the problem would be is the plane would be so big and heavy it would never get off the ground, right? So right. <laughs> you got to have a Which compromise. Is safer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, so there's like certain things. Uh, some of it has to do with with physics and and, and the engineering, and then ultimately the um, the consumer cost to produce and sell these products. So there might be a better way to do a circuit or do a chip, but it's not necessarily a consumer product at that point. You know, uh, a super processor with every an all-in-one chip would be great, but it'd be very expensive to design and produce and purchase, right? So, yeah. And then the company would go out of business because nobody would buy it. Right. Well, nowadays, aren't there like a bunch of these things they call this a single board computer or a single chip computer now where everything kind of is? And, and isn't that kind of like what an FPGA is where it's really just one piece of hardware now or no? Well, the FPGA is programmable, whereas if you buy a single board computer, it's already set up to do a certain function. So, but yeah, they're similar in, in being on one board. Yeah. Well, one of the things for like microcontrollers are used in like the Raspberry Pi and stuff like that. In a lot of cases, they don't have cash. What it is is they got the CPU running pretty fast as it is. Mm -hmm. And if you add cash, that takes power. Power creates heat. Mm -hmm. And then you got to run the whole thing slower. Mm -hmm. So they're more interested in running that processor faster sure. by keeping down the amount of silicon. It's okay. kind of like risk versus six because that was the same reason too is to simplify the design of the chip, reducing the instruction set, so that the chip you know wasn't as complicated. It didn't have as great of a command set, but you know, it ramp another, it up faster. That's another reason why um, all these chips that are being used in cell phones and other applications for power is really an issue where you got you know you're looking at battery life. That's why the ARM processor is used. It's very small silicon. It can run very fast, but it doesn't suck up that much juice. And another trick they're starting to do now is they'll have one core, which is like one CPU, and it runs really, really slow. And then it's got some other ones that run really, really fast. And the ones that really run fast do not get turned on and used unless it really is going to do something like draw on the screen or do something that's a lot of power. But most of the time, when that phone is sitting in your pocket, it's using that slower CPU and sucking almost no power. It's almost like a turbo, uh, turbocharger right. when needed, right? So Exactly. Um, and they are, they're also making some cores specialized, so they only do certain things really well. They don't have the general silicon to do everything a normal CPU would do. They're specialized to the point where they take less power to do some things that do require a lot of speed but don't need all the functionality the general CPU has. Yeah, it's um, that's the thing is for a while there it was just big companies like Roll Roll, Intel they were designing these CPUs mm -hmm. and now you've got actual manufacturers design their own CPUs. Sure. Apple. They can go and, and the thing about ARM CPUs is you can go to the company and say, hey, could you design me a chip to do this? They'll design it. And then you go to a manufacturing house and you just build it yourself. Hmm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Kind of so. a la, an a la carte processor if you need a special function or something, huh? Yeah. But yeah, in, in the old days, CPUs were designed by a few companies. And of course, the other thing I've also said too, in the era of the time, the 6809, they were designing the CPUs for the guy that was going to have to work on the software and the hardware of the computer. And so they had to make the chip so that you wanted to work on. 
Yeah, and, and six the six and nine in specific, they uh, the designers actually had been working with software designers. That's where they came up with the indexing modes that the six and nine has, and almost no other eight-bit CPU has to make it easier to write compilers and assemblers and other high-level languages. Hmm. Yeah, so it's that's you know the whole core was they were trying to design something that I would like to program on. And guess what? I really like programming. <laughs> well, I, I hear a lot of people say that, and it gives me a good feeling to know that, you know, I can't wait to follow in these footsteps. You know, everybody who's worked on it has said it's like that was their favorite 8-bit processor. And, and, and these are people who I have no reason to doubt um, for that. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that journey myself, too, which will be just, you know, hopefully a day or two away as I start learning it, too. Um, I would like to just kind of quickly acknowledge some of the live chat that's been going on on the side here. Um, some some discussions were taking place during your presentation and after, and I'll try to catch up. And so let me first start off by saying, if I didn't say hi to everybody in live chat, I think we said hi to Paul Thayer earlier. Ed Snyder, the zipster, is here. Um, one of the questions that came up, starting with Terry Steen, and I don't know if we'll get into that later today or save it for another topic, but when we actually talk about what assembler do you use, and then so some people started chiming in where Paul Thayer says, I use LWASM, which is Lost Wizard Tools, right? That's William Astle's tools. Ed Snyder says, yeah, for cross-dev, he uses LWASM. Um, Ed Snyder saying hi. Um, Mark Overhost says we could have a whole show just de dedicated to cross assemblers, and maybe we should at some point in mm -hmm. time. Um, David Phillipson said I actually use the CSC cross assemblers I have for the 6801, 6809, 6502. Um, um, Paul agreed with Mark. Um, Boyson says hi to Ed. Ed says hi to Boyson. Uh, Terry Steen. Um, I've not been in the public arena for a while. I figured it would be a good source and a good assemblers out there so he wants to know what to use. So we're getting some feedback there. Evan Wright's here, another assembler guy is here. Hey, Evan Wright. Nick Morota says hello. Um, Al Hartman is here. Hey, Al Hartman, how are you? Um, what else did I miss here? There's so much text going on here. Um, Evan Wright says hi, all. Nick Morota says hi. Terry Steen just started assembly language lesson. Wayne Aaron, uh, thanks for ordering the Coco SDC. Eddie Serbinski is here. Hey, Eddie. Dave Phillipson says another handicap of the 6502 is that the X register is only 8 bits. Uh, Mark says all registers are 8 bits. Um, <laughs> Boyson yep. says 6502 is Retro Innovation's favorite CPU. <laughs> we got the Troll Junior's Trolling Troll Senior here. So yeah, okay, It speaks volumes of his character. <laughs> Tom C. is here from Jersey. How's you guys doing? Um, Nick Morota says, would self-modifying code be a good pro copy protection scheme? If the game is on cartridge, it's okay. But if it's RAM, it kills itself. I think we answered that, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, Eddie Servinsky is asking if the assembly la language clips could be available separately. That's a question for uh, Steve Bjork if he wants to address that, if we want to make it as, as a mini clip. I'm not sure about that. Yeah. Now we're mentioning some books. Okay, I think I'm caught up on the chat there. Um, yeah. Sorry about but I that, did guys. Want, I did want to add something about uh, my copy protection. Uh, I wouldn't really call it self-modifying co code. I call it self-destructive code. <laughs> Get ready.
What's going on everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get Ama Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Yeah. Well, I think you've kind of mentioned that's what you view self-modifying code as anyway, right? Exterminate. <laughs> My Skype is just frozen. Uh-oh. Skype is not responding. Hold on just a second here. Okay. Sorry, guys. My Skype just died. Let me try this again. <laughs> you got to love it. Uh, Coco Talk, where are we? Can I get in to Coco Talk? trying to get that fixed. Hey, sorry about that. Skype died on me. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm back. It's not freezing on the call, but it's freezing on uh, YouTube. Okay. I'm I'm back now. I guess Skype's using self-modifying code. or Self-modifying code. code. All right. <laughs> so, so we again, we're trying to baby step through assembly. We're not going to try to get too deep. So far with these... Um, with these discussions, I'm able to follow it. Uh, for the, for those of you who are not assembly folks, like a Grant, uh, was this pretty good for you too, Grant? You're muted. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's easy to follow. Um, I'm starving for some more, but we'll yeah. have to be patient. But kind of uh, like Coco Forever, you got to binge this stuff, huh? <laughs> you know, but you know, I'm on, I'm on that Generation X slash Millennial. I mean, you know, I want to binge it all at one time and get it all done. But yeah, <laughs> but I think if you know, I think uh, you're right. My brain would probably blow up just like yours if we did. Well, it, it reminds me of a recent episode of the Next Generation where they were uh, observing a, uh, a civilization that wasn't quite as advanced, and they were telling them, "Listen, we can't give you all this information. You need to discover this at your own pace." And so that's kind of where we are right now. We have this advanced knowledge that's out there, but we have to, you know, we have to evolve. <laughs> where am I going with this crap? I don't know. But yeah. So. <laughs> He had a good train of thought. Your <laughs> it just went off the rails. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, Where is that train? I don't hear the train. <laughs> Where did that train go? Hey, oh, Steve. That's not the train. Oh, am uh, I not? I'm not sharing sound anymore either, am I? Yeah. I hear you. All right. And that's not the train. Hold on. Where is that train? Oh, yeah, going. And this is James Diffendaffer's uh, background theme music here. There we go. There's that train. All right. I hear that train coming. All right. Well, uh, have we have we covered enough on this for now? Steve, you have uh, you want to do my presentation? I think it's the hardware side of what he kind of just talked about. You want to do that or not? Uh, well, no, because Steve wants to hold off on that because it's kind of um, a little bit out of sync with where he wants to go with the baby steps on this. Um, okay. Um, uh, but as far as what we've covered so far for assembly, everybody good? Okay. Absolutely. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I Go will ahead. say this thing. The lessons will start getting more meat as we go forward. This is just the foundation area. Then we'll actually start getting into instructions. The Actually, the next one's addressing modes. It's kind of crossing line between foundation and true assembly. So there'll be a lot of meat for the next one. 
Okay. Take your aspirin before we start. <laughs> what I'm going to do right now is I'm posting in the um, I'm posting in the YouTube uh, chat the link to the video that we're going to do. I'm going to we're going to take this video is actually it's it's four minutes and forty seconds long. But this we're going to go ahead and play this this uh, clip from the band TRS80. We got permission to run theirs, so we're going to take a break. We're going to listen to some music. We're going to watch some dancing girls. Uh, and when we come back, we are going to get into the main topic today, which is going to be hardware discussions, uh, community uh, stuff. And then that's going to feed into Ron Delvaux's segment on retro magazines and publications and things like that, too. So we're going to have some hardware talk after some cool electronic music, music with some barely dressed dancing girls. Nothing wrong with that, folks. So enjoy the sights. Enjoy the sounds. Smoke them if you got them. We'll be back in about little less than five minutes here so i'm going to go ahead and mute the skype call here too so we can hear this music unbridled and we'll be back people let me switch over to full screen
Hello, hello, hello. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Why did yeah. they do what? Testies <laughs> one, two. Testies <laughs> one, two. Sorry about so that. So this is what a bad LSD trip looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like uh, four minutes we'll never get back. <laughs> if, if, it, if it wasn't for the Raquel Welsh oh, running around, I'd, I'd be bored. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, though. It's very electronic. Uh, I think it's cool music. I, I think the pairing of the kind of lo-fi sound with that old-style footage is kind of a cool a cool match. So, anyways. I don't know. In the beginning, it sounded like a jackhammer for one of their tunes. Mm. Uh, it was uh, an interesting instrument choice. Yeah, they, the, the name of this track was called Prime Numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, they got a bunch of different songs. I, th- I I just recently started reading up on the band. I think one of the things they like to do is they're trying to use real synthesizers and not sequence it. They're trying to use real drums and not drum machines and stuff. So they're trying to add a uh, human element to electronic music. So it's, it's more performance-oriented, I think, as far as how they're producing it and recording it. And I think the video pairing adds a nice retro downgraded you know looks it looks like old stock footage it looks like something you'd see like raquel welch or like barbarella jane fonda or something like that you know so it looks like that era type stuff so i know i thought it was cool yeah and if i'm trying to remember correctly i think it might have been them or some of their other competitors in the in the techno field that actually used to do uh opening segments for the verges uh podcast show that they used to do in new york, new york city Mm. used to have one of these types of bands would always be the intro and outro music for the show live show cool mm. okay well the band is called trs80 it came up in the facebook groups this week i thought it was neat and it was cool that they gave us permission to um to do it mm-hmm. and so we did it we had a nice little break uh we're back so before we get into the main main discussion i, I want to talk about a few non-hardware um news items this week and so one of them uh is a project i came across in an indie retro dev group i'm on on facebook and here's a guy who is creating a text adventure with a name of a game that we possibly know um uh, called the sands of egypt and it has nothing to do with the uh, datasoft version but this is um just a modern um text adventure you could play on a pc with an interesting name called Sands of Egypt. And so, um, and somebody else has mentioned this group here called Itch.io. Who else had mentioned this? Because when we talked about Game Jams, somebody had mentioned that they were familiar with this with a, a service called Itch.io. Um, so I'm going to post that in the live chat. But I thought that was kind of interesting because, uh, you know, we've, we've been talking about on the Coco Crew podcast and stuff, interactive fiction and the Infocom interpreters and stuff. So a modern text adventure game that's got a name that we're familiar with different story but similar name i thought that was kind of cool um another one that came up in the facebook group this week was our friend diego who we did meet at coco fest he's been cranking out a whole bunch of stuff he's got that one game that's kind of like a minesweeper that looks really cool too and here's one that he just posted a picture of that is called furious felines 2 and so uh, it's kind of a cool, obviously this looks like this is running on a um, Coco 3 because we've got more colors, higher resolution, and it looks... Uh, it's a it sequel to his original Furious Felines, a uh, basic game he wrote, I can't okay. remember how many years ago. Okay. 
And so we'll have to we'll have to monitor the progress on that. So I just wanted to, to to show that out there. So the topic today that I thought and Ed Snyder's here. It'd be great if if Ed could um, join us on Skype if if that's at all possible. Ed, I'm not sure how busy you are and if you want to do this, but so we're going to talk about a handful of hardware things, and we'll start off with the easy ones first. So for example, for those of you who are not familiar with Carlos Camacho, uh, also known as the Color Computer Store, Carlos. Um, has a unique ability to find and sell retro machines from around the world. So he's getting MSX machines from Japan. He's he's in a lot of different groups. Um, so, but he posted something about the Gimme Chip, the 86 versus the 87 Gimme Chip, because when he when he lists a Coco on um, on eBay, he'll even mention what year the Gimme Chip is, is at. So he's got a couple of pictures here, like this, for example. This one says Tandy. 1987 it was made in Korea it's got a slightly different part number and this is what an 87 Seven gimme. Gimme looks like and I think the previous image which is made by um, a different company uh, out of Mexico and it says 86 so um, you know the gimme chip is the only chip in your Coco 3 that doesn't look like a as a normal you know for, you know 40 leg you know CPU or RAM chip it's a very in unique style chip and so if you crack open your Coco 3 and look for this square chip, and you'll see if it's an 86 or an 87 gimme. So you can visually make that distinction if you don't have the right software to detect that. So um, the question has come up, you know, what's the difference? And I believe the short answer to that is timing, right? Yeah, basically. That's the main, um, the main thing is uh, the timer. All right. It's a little bit different. And, and some so, bug fixes on one of the scrolling modes, if I remember. There's some... Yeah, the 86 also, also had the problem that would generate a um, sparkly on the screen. And once again, that's due to the timing problem. Okay. And so there are some games that will detect the presence of what year your gimme chip is and will uh, 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 the, the developer has figured out a way to adjust the timing in their own games to work around these, I suppose. Popstar yep. Pilot does. Yeah. Yep. A lot of Sock Masters demos. There's a um, utility too. Yeah, and when Glenn Hewlett first released his Pac-Man transcode, the 1.0 version, uh, Nick Marentes had spotted some of the sparklies, and so that prompted the 1.1 of the Pac-Man transcode that fixed that. Um, and I think, Nick, you had updated your Pac-Man, too, for... I know I know one of the reasons was a palette adjusting, but what was the other reason why you updated your, your Pac-Man, Nick? Oh, not because of the 86 or 87 gimme, though. It was other things, yeah. Okay. And yeah, retro innovations is saying that sparkly is a technical term. So yeah. Well, the other thing on the gimme is they also changed. There's a capacitor. If you look in that picture, you see it says two two one. That's a two hundred twenty picofarad. The eighty six version has a hundred and fifty picofarad cap. Okay, is a picofarad is that like a Pokemon that you have to catch, or what is what is a picofarad? That's a unit of measurement for capacitors. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Shows you how much about electronics I know. So, <laughs> um, okay. So that that kind of came up. So actually, we can now see a picture. If you're not familiar with what uh, a gimme looks like or how to inspect what an eighty-six or eighty-seven gimme looks like, I thought that was worth talking about. Um, there is another one, actually. I think I've got a picture of it on my um, my website. Uh, the original prototype one. Yeah. A prototype one. Yeah. Okay. So, so the topic is hardware, and um, 
and so in no particular order, I've I've compiled some of the hardware posts that I've come across this week. Um, and so let, I guess I'll start off by trying to state what my goal here is. And um, and this is going to be open discussion. So hopefully we can all speak like adults. But, you know, there, there's a lot of hardware going on. And there's some hardware like what Ed Snyder makes is made for production. These are commercial products that people buy. Some of the hardware is people just working on projects, doing their own thing. And um, I don't think there's a, a wrong way to do hardware. And, uh, you know, a lot of discussions have come up too, like uh, is there too many of one product and shouldn't we make another product? So I want to try to address all these ideas, but I'd like to do it in a hopefully um, non-toxic environment where we can just talk about these issues. Let's share our opinions. Um, and uh, let's all be happy that people are just interested in this hobby. And, and making stuff for our machines. Um, uh, Steve, I just want to catch on something you said. Yeah. You know, there about hardware. You know, there's no wrong way to do it. Trust me. If you do hardware wrong, <laughs> you get this magic purple smoke coming out of it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and no self-modifying hardware. That's no self-modifying hardware. Right. <laughs> so, so one of the hardware posts that has come up this week is from our very own Ed Snyder, who I'd love to get on the Skype call. I know he was in chat earlier. We need to get Ed on here. But so this is this is a product that a lot of people are drooling over right now. Uh, Ed's Mega Multi Pack. It's a four-slot multi pack interface that also includes some RS-232 ports and a sound chip. So uh, essentially it could be like a six-port multi-pack. So this is but one offering. Uh, there are there are other multi-pack options out there. Ed himself made a mini MPI with two slots. Our very own um, Jim Brain of Retro Innovations has got an eight-slot MPI that can daisy-chain into a 16-slot MPI. And, of course, now we've lost David Ladd, who would be drooling right now over that prospect. Well, that's what uh, happened. He was drilling over his computer. That <laughs> short short circuited his Skype connection. Yeah. Yep. So so this oh, is an example oh. of uh, of uh, you know uh, of a guy who's making commercial products for us all. I think most people aren't familiar with who Ed Snyder is, what his products are, the quality of of his craftsmanship and his designs, and I don't think it's I don't think his his products are in question. But Ed is but one of, of many people who provide things, and, and this is one of his things. So before we move on uh, to some of my other postings, what do you, any guys, anybody want to chime in on, on this particular product or anything else, uh, multi-pack stuff, the wants and needs of this particular thing? I'm looking forward to it. I'm probably going to replace some of my old regular multi-packs with this just for the yeah, extra Yeah, me too. I plan to do the same thing depending on the Same price, here. Yeah. Multi-packs are kind of a rare item anyway, so... It's a desirable. So this is needed. Multi-packs are needed. Well, it's they're needed by those who need more things at once in their cocoa. Uh, well, it's also nice because he's integrating the RS-232 and the sound chip right into it, so you don't have to have those yeah. cards or use that space or anything, so that's nice, too. Yeah, right. this kind of covers what Nick was always complaining, like the SDC had hoped would have had you know the sound chip built in because you just have this one card that would do everything. This is the second best solution. That basically will cover the same same thing. We have one base piece of hardware that covers a couple things at once. Yeah, so standards, maybe we can get into that. Maybe not this second, but hardware standards. It seems like uh, the the Coco SDC is the one one universal, right? There's over 500 units of that sold. Anybody who's everybody has got one. Um, people are looking for them now. 
Um, so, uh, so this multi, and it'd be nice if we can get Jim Brain on here too, because Jim Brain also makes multi packs and has other uh, products in the pipeline. So this, yeah, I this guess is, the only, I guess the only bad part would be is if you don't really want the. Uh, I guess you could buy his other solution, but I was gonna say you have to carry around this whole multi pack just to say you want to use RS two thirty two, but you really don't want to use the other ports, but. Well, that's the thing is, if you want to have RS-232, you have to have a multi-pack because then you can't use your floppy disk controller or yeah. your right. emulator. Right, so. yeah. So either way, you're carrying around an MPI to do that, I guess. So. Right, right. And and um, Jim Brain has got, I think, a four-port serial card that he's made uh, mm-hmm. that, he, that he did uh, talk about at Coco Fest. So, well, uh, Jim's always kind of overdoing it, such as his multi-pack that he's designed has eight slots and it has an option where you can plug two of them together so you can have 16 slots uh-huh and then he's got an rs-230 card with four rs-232 ports on it he's kind of mr overkill not saying that's a bad thing right but you know david he's sitting there going i can plug in 16 cards <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah which is the best one for a repack you mean a repack uh, into a pc case yeah we're not doing that anymore. I, 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 I no, guess it depends on the case. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, there's see, so many different yeah. case designs. And the other thing, too, is if you put it inside of a case, you have to take the case apart to plug in a different item into your multi-pack. Kind of slows it down. Yeah, and James, besides, Jim Brain's calling in. There you go. But most of the um, issue, I would say, is that you really don't want to repack your cocoa because you want it all natural. Right. Well, I guess that that depends on the individual, like a lot of other choices. Yeah, right? a lot of the hardcore OS Niners back in the '90s did the uh, PC case thing. In fact, we did that at work too, and I know lots of people that did back then. They had full size towers, and they had like the multi pack kind of hanging on the side, on the inside, with these cards plugged in with no cartridge cases and stuff. And I mean, it it, it looks nice from the outside, but like like Steve mentioned, if you wanted to say plug in a ROM pack game or something, you got to take the whole case apart. Try to fit it in without shorting anything out or anything, and it was a it was a bit of a pain unless you were setting it up like we did at work. We were setting up a work system with a ton of cartridges. We could have used Jim's eight slot pack to be honest. We were out with four. We ran out of room. But uh, well, nowadays you could also with three uh, D printers and such, you could print yourself out a frame that could fit in the side of the box. Then you mount your MPI card up to that, and then you could insert and move through that. So yeah, because the well. advantage of the PC repacking is that you got the PC power supply, which is a lot beefier than the Cocoa. So right. you just had one power supply, you could plug in all your hard drives, all your floppies, everything into one shot. You don't have these power cables dangling out all over the place. Mm. Or, or another option is to have three complete Cocoa set up, like I do, <laughs> with multi-packs. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess maybe the real reason why I'm against uh, repacking a Cocoa inside a PC case is... Almost 15 years ago, I had some people break into my storage unit, and they didn't take any of the cocos that were in their regular cases. They took my repack cocoa that was in a PC case along with another PC. So, if you don't want it stolen, <laughs> leave it out <laughs> don't, don't make. Don't I, make I don't it know what eBay like prices nowadays. I don't say nowadays sure people might uh, legit anymore. take the cocoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, yeah, that's but, just a PC. Look, that's a Cocoa. That's a rare thing. That's 300 bucks on eBay. I'm getting that. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, well, Jim has joined us, and since we're, we got a lot to talk about in the in the sphere of hardware, but since we just showed a picture of an MPI, 
with serial ports. Here's a guy who makes an MPI and a serial card. How are you doing, Jim Brain of Retro Innovations? Doing fine. Um, you've been accused of going overboard, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> this one goes I've to... done well if it's not overdone. Yeah. <laughs> or underboard if you're talking to David, but... <laughs> I think it was the Coco Man that said anything worth doing is worth overdoing. So uh, <laughs> that is correct, sir. Yes. And so that goes for collecting. While we're on the multi-pack topic, uh, Jim Brain, anything you want to add in as far as um, I know? I know you spent an hour talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but since we're on the topic now, you want to chime in on you know any updates on what you're doing with your multi-packs and your serial boards and things like that um well as 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 normally happens after after a big show like coco fest um it takes a couple weeks just to kind of decompress and so the month of may just kind of disappears um because you've been working so hard trying to get stuff ready for the show but um right now i think uh, i'm i'm kind of um I think Ed, maybe Ed's got better luck than I do, but um, at the show, I delivered one of the units to um, to John Strong because I, while I have a 3D printer, that's not really an expertise of mine right now, and I know John has a passion around 3D printed cases, and, you know, the, the device that I have can function as a four-port unit, but it really shines as an eight-port unit, and the, the way that four additional ports are put onto the system um, three of them really require t- uh, cartridges to be put out horizontally. And just like on the Coco, um, a horizontal cartridge that just kind of sits on a cartridge connector, um, it's too wobbly. And so it kind of needs, that's the reason the, on the Coco, the, the cartridge is kind of buried a little bit into the color computer case itself. So the case itself can provide some stability. Um, so anyway, the, uh, the MPIs really require a case. Um, you can use them without one. Even Ed's is going to be the same way because even if you put cartridges vertically, they flop around too much if they're if they're big, like a um, a, um, an RS232 pack or one of the original packs that's really tall. <clears throat> and if they if they're horizontal, it's even worse. So cases are kind of a must. And um, John's uh, kind of taken a little bit longer than than. Uh, and the rest of us, I think, to decompress from the Coco Fest, and so I'm, I'm eager to hear um, where he is on the different cases. I saw Ed had sent a note out saying, "Hey, I'm just waiting on a case from John, and hope to get these things done in a couple weeks." Um, so I'm hopeful that cases will be available for both of the units, you know, shortly, because <clears throat> I think that really makes the unit is a case. I got a question. Um, when you make a case for the MPI. They, they're not going to have anything like the flaps of a, uh, you know, a Tandy one, right? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think I, if you look at Ed's two-port MPI, there's just basically a kind of hole in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so I ex- I suspect that's the same kind of, kind of idea that John will continue on. I mean, he could, I'm sure, with enough time and, and design work, he could build little flaps but you got to get little springs, springs and yeah and, that's kind of over, over, over engineering something yeah that's and i was not gonna say important. we're gonna talk about overdoing right that may be yeah. one of the categories yeah <clears throat> well it's one thing i appreciate about the tandy one yeah it, it is and if there was enough you know the i guess one of the things i'm thinking is is john could always make a 
um, you know, he can make a case, and then later on, if he comes up with a better design, the case is obviously going to be in two halves. So you could always get a newer upper half of the case for whatever you know unit you want, um, and and so you you know, I think that's the place where you as a customer says say to to John, hey, I really really like these flaps. Is there a way to build that as an as a value add? And maybe most people don't buy them because it's kind of expensive, but I want them, so I'll, I'm willing to. To pay the extra money. Yeah, I suppose you could have a flap that just flops <laughs> over backward, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, if you're, if, you're, yeah. if you're worried about getting dust in your machine, you just put a piece of plastic over it, mm. over the whole thing. You know, those yeah. old dust covers they used to sell? Sure. I think it yeah. does, it does, you know, it does, um, does it bring up a, a significant kind of issue with hardware um, so hardware is really one leg of a three-legged stool so there's there's the hardware which is the actual um, circuitry and so forth that's necessary and then there's the software that's used to run hardware so if, if you have a hardware component and you don't have the software that can take advantage of it then you don't have anything and then for a lot of hardware um, it's not really a product until it has a professional uh, finished case. You know, so MPIs are really just nothing until they have a case to put around the, the board. And a lot of cartridges um, are also problematic until you've got a finished, you know, if you can make it fit into one of the cartridge shells that <coughs> that's that are sold, the um, kind of reddish colored ones or, or whatever, then you can use that. But but you need to make sure that you have a professional-looking exterior for a unit. Otherwise, you're just you're just selling like what looks kind of like a hot sports products. Yeah. yeah. Roger that. Um, all right. So we so one of the things that you know I'm just going through a bunch of stuff. I want to get into more of a philosophical discussion in, in the near future here too. But we so we started talking about multi packs, which is just one of the first things I had. Here on my list, um, another thing that was posted um, in Facebook this week is uh, uh, by somebody named Rob Young, and he put up a, a kind of a prototype picture here of, I guess, a, um, a cocoa development board where you can plug it into the side of your cocoa and then work on your own projects. And um, is there any interest in a generic prototyping board for the cocoa expansion port? This picture is for quick rendering. Uh, and then he gets into some of the electronic specifics here that I don't fully understand. But um, this is, now what is this a picture of here? Worldwide supermarket for sound. What is this picture that you put up here, Jason, of this prototype board? Is this an existing one that's already out there? That is an existing, uh, it was a vintage Radio Shack uh, thing I bought on eBay. And, okay. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was just something I picked up on eBay that I was, I was playing around with a bit, and um, but it it actually is a little too big for the um, for the cocoa expansion port. I actually had to trim some of the edges off, and it's actually two forty pin connectors. I was I bought two of these, and I was uh, playing around with one, trying to make some kind of a homebrew Y cable, but uh, I didn't okay. uh, didn't get far with that, and uh, still have one of the package. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> Can can I show a picture of a experiment experiment board that I've got? Sure thing, Nick. Okay, okay. 
Can you see that one? Uh, we're waiting. Just give us a second here. I think it's upside down. There we go. There you it's go. It's swirling. Okay. So this so has got a just, cartridge port with a ribbon cable. Well, it's just a yeah, a board that plugs into the bus of the Coco and then okay. just runs a cable out to a connector to a standard experimenter board. The case is there just to make it look nice. Uh -huh. um, but, yeah, it, it's an experimenter board, so there's no soldering. You can just plug your, your wires and your chips on the board, uh, and it's nice and tidy and... As I said, no soldering. Uh, I forget who made that for me. I bought it from them. Um, but he didn't make any more of them, which is odd because this, this would have been uh, much easier to use than a, uh, a, a PCB board, which you have to solder. Right, right, right. So that's that product's no longer available. No, no. It's... I have to find out who actually uh, I bought it from, but um, I, I haven't used it. I don't do much in the way of hardware. But the beauty of it is that you can buy the experimenter board from most electronic suppliers, uh -huh. and the the card mm -hmm. just plugs onto that that uh, experimenter board, and then you just plug your components in. Yeah, this almost um, looks like one of those Radio Shack uh, yeah, home it's electronics like a little kits. Radio Shack kit. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's. That's mine. Uh, so, so, so for somebody, so I guess when somebody asks a question, would anybody be interested in a prototype board? Who is the intended audience for this? Somebody who's interested in designing some type of hardware project for the Coco and wants to be able to have a, a quick and easy way to uh, move wires around and test connectors and things like that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's more for the hardware designer, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, now this this starts to to, to um, tap into the uh, territory of well, does one of these already exist, right? And I believe that John Linville has got some type of <coughs> prototype board that Mike Rowan is selling, or Myro has it. So, um, so there there is one that would fit inside a cartridge. It's not super big, but I think there is a prototype board available. But somebody else has said, hey. Um, would anybody be interested in this? So now we start to get into this philosophical, moral dilemma. If person X has product Y, and I want to make a similar product, or you know, you know, what, what's what's the rules of engagement here? And and maybe we can just start by breaching that topic because it's it's really hard to make something that hasn't been made before. It's really hard to say, listen, this computer can only do so many things, and I want to make a thing for this machine. Am I stepping on somebody's toes? Am I ruffling somebody's feathers? Um, you know, we, there's, there's the, uh, the quote that we've gotten from the Coco Crew podcast of scratch the itch, right? If this is your hobby, and you want to scratch your itch, and you want to make a thing, um, how do we make these things and, and do it in a way where we can all get along? <laughs> is that a deep topic? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but here's the thing, though. America is built on competition, coming up with better ideas, better ways. If you haven't come up with the best way to do something on the cocoa, you know, it's more your fault that somebody has come up with a better way, if you follow my drift. Many, there are people that are developing new items now for the cocoa that replace things that came before it. Why? Because they're better. Why? Because they're cheaper. Why? They're better quality. 
And here's an example. All right, but, but let's let's let, let, me, let me pause both let me, you guys for one second. Let me just uh, go ahead, go finish ahead, Steve. one more thing. Yeah. But that's the thing is, if somebody's built something out there and it's not as good as it should be, what? why shouldn't you make the better one? That's my issue. Okay. I but, don't, uh, but, but I just to add on Steve's uh, 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 comments here, but also competition it brings more uh, innovation as well. Because, like he's saying, it builds better mousetraps, and then the other person can build a mousetrap, and so on and so forth. And if people in in, in the ultimate deci- decision uh, is going to be the market. Let you know if people don't want it or like it, they're not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And see, yeah, to I, me, that brings up that there's a bit of a divide here because there's people trying to produce hardware as a commercial product, something they do plan to sell. Then you get into the whole competition thing and who can make the better mousetrap, et cetera. But there's also others that are just doing it for hobbyists, you know, to learn electronics, to learn how the Cocoa works at a hardware level, where, you know, they might share their design with a couple people or maybe even custom build a couple boards because, you know, a couple people want to use it. Like, you know, say a David Ladd 32 slot multipack or something. Um, <laughs> but but those people, I don't think she'd be discouraged if even if they don't pick the exact, you know, what the current modern standard of the right way is, if they're just trying to learn it, then let them learn. Mm-hmm. If they're trying to make it a commercial product, the market will decide for them whether that is is good enough or not. But if it's for a personal project, I don't think we should be riding on them saying, well, you could have done it smarter this way. Well, no, if you're learning, you're, you're learning, period. Uh, in the last year, we had a product that's been out for years. And all of a sudden, there was competition by another product that did the same thing. And there was a tremendous price drop on the original product. And they're now going off and developing... Uh, a newer better version of that product and that's the thing is we wouldn't have that if it wasn't for the competition agreed yeah Uh, i think you know if you look at like i don't see why somebody i mean i can see you're being upset because now somebody's potentially taking money away for doing something commercially but you should expect that if especially if you put something out there that's successful somebody else is going to try to make a better one a copy of it so and so so yeah, I mean, competition, like like uh, Steve's saying, is just, it's a fact of life, especially in, you know, where type of countries we live in, so. Well, it's as Curtis said. I mean, if you're just building stuff for, the, for your own uh, interest, for your own fun, um, yeah, do what you want. It's, it's, it's fine. But if you are trying to build something to sell, well, then you do open the doors to competition. I mean... Uh, the the, op- the possibility that someone else will have a better idea is is there. It's going to happen. So yeah. let me yeah. let me let me just ask a, a, a couple of specific examples right now. So when it comes to a prototype board, is it possible to have a better prototype board? Like, so sometimes I'm not even uh, I don't know if the word better applies. But okay, so well, for a prototype board, it's 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 a it's a, a printed circuit board with a bunch of holes in it. Is is it necessarily that one's better than another, or it's just there's another option? Um, yeah. and, and and the market well, for that's probably small enough that it's not even a question of person X's prototype board wasn't the best. Person Y says I want to make one too. Now we as consumers have two choices: we can get brand X, we can get brand Y, and we'll pick the one we want based on our own preference, but if we have the choice, choices are good for consumers, right? Right. Um, a, a pro- we should prototype. have Paul speak up. 
a prototype board's a bit different because that is something that you'd be buying to help you develop from there on. So I guess it depends on each individual's desires or what they want some people may prefer a like with the prototype board i showed some people may prefer a soldered board um others just want something for a quick quick work you know something they can just easily plug in and you know pull apart and build something else like a lego set almost yeah whereas uh, a solder board is more of a permanent thing you build something well that's it you can't you know, unless you're going to sit there and desolder it all de-solder and start it, yeah. again, it's not going to work. So, you know, it depends. <laughs> That's something that depends on the individual. <laughs> There's a Lego block from. Lego I just man. happen to have a Lego brick here. I don't you know just, why. That's right. Planned this. Just here it was. As as all of us should. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like Ed Snyder's comment in the in the YouTube chat too. He said it's an open market and competition is healthy. As long as you aren't copying someone's work verbatim, there shouldn't be a problem. I mean, if you're stealing somebody's exact design and just duplicating it and you get you know a discount because you got a better access to some manufacturer well that yeah i mean that would be under okay so let's so now let's let's talk about a specific example okay so coco ram all right there are coco ram products that exist there's coco ram products on the horizon right uh and ron delvo is holding up one of them we happen to have uh with us paul t barton who has created the NOCAN RAM board. There's been lots of Cocoa RAM throughout the years. So is it is it safe to say that if if there's more than one RAM option, is anybody stealing somebody's design? Because technically it wasn't the design kind of laid out by Tandy. This is the form factor of the pins on the motherboard to connect it to. Does the shape of the circuit board mean you've stolen a design versus the fact you're tapping into a slot that was already set up for us by Tandy, you know? Um, is it possible to steal a RAM upgrade design? Well, most of the 512K upgrade boards were a stolen design from Tandy, weren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. there's, I, I mean, true. there's, there's nothing, there's nothing original about the 512K board. No, uh, no, and it's, it's all basically the same thing. And so you're not really, especially DRAM, you're not stealing anything from there. Right. I mean, you're not really. Uh, every, no. Everybody's you're following a spec, basically. Yeah, you're just following a spec. It's sort of like the joystick adapter, which mm-hmm. uses the 4066 chip, and that's been around since the mid 80s. And everybody's using basically the same design. The one that I have is just a smaller one. Yeah. You know, that's the only difference. Um, and cheaper. And right. the color so, of the circuit board, of course. Right. Yes. <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, obviously, let's 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 address the three hundred pound gorilla. So there 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 has been a company that most of us have heard of. They're called Cloud Nine. They've been around for twenty years, right? And they are probably, for all intents and purposes, have been the establishment, right? They Cloud Nine, which is Mark Marlette, has been making things forever. He makes good quality stuff. Um, there's nothing wrong with what he makes, and for the longest time. He was almost the only source for aftermarket stuff. After all the mar- after all the magazine outlets dried up, if you wanted a Coco product, there weren't that many sources. So um, Cloud9 has been around forever. Uh, they're still here. They still make great products. Um, but they had a really good run where there they really wasn't anybody else making similar products for a while. But I now think we're, we're in a time when there, there are going to be some 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 products that they make too and is that a bad thing and i think we 
have already determined that competition is not bad for the consumer, right? It might be bad for a company who doesn't want the competition, but as far as uh, for the consumer, when, you know, when in, when companies compete, the consumer wins, right? Yep, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think it's, it, you don't want a monopoly situation that's artificial. If if you're a monopoly situation because you're the only one who was willing 20 years ago to put the time and money into making all these boards, then you have a natural monopoly. But you're not, you know, trying to force other people out. But once once there are like other people Windows. like Richard and others have been able to get in, and and create their own upgrades that are cheaper or smaller or whatever, you know, low power, whatever. Uh, that's good. That's competition. Right. And Mark will compete with the best the other, of them. I mean, the Mark, there's thing... nothing stopping Mark from you know, incre increasing the efficiency of his designs as well. Well, the other thing, uh, and I'll address like the SCART cable. I mean, I, I got that design out of Barry Nelson, and I've been selling them. But the thing is, they're, they're, they're very labor-intensive. Well, Jason started making them. He added a switch to it. And I welcomed it. I was just like, great. Now we have another place mm -hmm. that people can go to because uh, it took up a lot of my time and Jason is willing to take up that slack and he's doing very well with that and to me and and I've been helping him with those as well you know I've been encouraging him to to keep making those mm -hmm. so there there's you know that comes to where I think where choice is good yeah and, and it's and not I, uh, I'm sorry yeah go ahead I was just gonna say it's not just a simple question that you have choice you now have a second source on a product if one yeah. company should go under or stop making them, you still have a s source to buy the product. Right. Yeah, that's so that's that's, that's great for the consumer too. Yeah, actually, I think all this competition we've been seeing the last couple of years is actually a good indication of the strength of the cocoa market in general now. Because for the longest time, you only had Cloud9 to get a 512k RAM upgrade, for example, and now you've got you know multiple sources that are producing it. Now we've got two meg upgrades, eight meg upgrades coming out. That mm -hmm. speaks to the whole of the health of the cocoa community as a whole increasing and I think we can afford the extra competition because there's more people willing to buy the products now there is a downside to all this when you have a competition like that for example I hate to bring it up but let's talk about the sound card for a second because now you have two three four different sound cards which are not compatible with each other so then as a uh, programmer who's one who makes a game what sound card do you program for you know that's that's the question I would like to have I think, yeah, and that's uh, something that's different than the RAM upgrades because the RAM upgrades basically will work the same even when you get up to 2 meg um, yeah. or even 8 meg for that matter. I mean, they're still compatible with each other. Whereas the sound cards, yes, now you've got, you have to write separate drivers and if you want a RS-DOS game to support all the sound cards, you have to write three or four different drivers and it's going to sound different between them unless you do the lowest common denominator. You might not be using all the features of one of the better chips. So what, what do you pick? Do you try to cover every possible one and then write the drivers as minimal as possible so that they all sound roughly the same do you just say screw it all I'm just going to do the standard DAC because I don't have to worry about this um, what, what is the solution there and I think yeah, in that situation got... the community needs to come together and decide on standards for that type of thing because I think once you get standards it makes things a lot easier for new hardware and for new software to be, to be used on that hardware yeah, but the problem well, with the standard is the problem with the standard is once you set a standard and it be kind of like like uh, MS DOS, right? I mean, MS DOS was a standard operating system for how long? But you were also limited by that standard, so you got to be careful with setting standards. So. You have to have a future-looking yeah, standard, right? And, yeah, and there's and, also and like the ISA the standard as well. It, which, it got superseded. Which 
which sound card are you going to determine is the standard, and who gets left out, and whose product gets left out in the cold? Oh, it's as what a software developer, buy, right? As a software developer, it's really easy to answer. It's which company is going to give me the most support for their sound card, because I don't want to do all the reverse engineering on coming up with all the drivers. I want somebody to give it to me. That's one place where Alan, with his sure sound, is great. You got somebody that develop something that's easy to do but he's also understands what needs to be done so that a programmer can use it he's also understands music theory so you put all that stuff together and it's great that's where ed's gonna have to go through and get somebody to develop the stuff for him that does all that work does all that stuff otherwise it's not going to get adopted or he supplies it himself. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is he's going to have to do? Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Is a lot of people just go out there and develop the hardware. If you do the memory card, um, you don't need drivers, as you were pointing out. But this is something you need drivers, and that's a big hole. I mean, how many people have bought a circuit board, you know, hardware for their PC, and it was from 10 years ago, and they never wrote drivers to work with the most current one most current PC operating system. Yeah, so your hardware you purchased and paid money for no longer works. Exactly. So that's the thing is give me something to help make it work. So with OS 9, if I get a big memory card, OS 9's are already scalable to it, right? Up yeah, so I meg. mean no, Nitrous 9 itself does up to 2 meg and there is RAM disk drivers if you follow Paul Barden's NoCan 3 spec which Jim Brain's board does you can access the extra 6 meg as a RAM drive, and those are already done, so yes. That's cool. Yay. Uh, what is there in DECB for larger memory? Uh, there was versions of Danosoft's Big Basic that it did at least up to the 1 meg that I remember because they supported the distal 1 meg. Um, there was a couple other utilities and stuff. There's some RAM disk drivers and stuff, that printer buffers, um, but nothing well, past 2 meg that I know of. Well, let me ask you, um, you know, John Linville made that uh, video program to to run um, movies you know on his Coco 3 did that involve uh, more memory or because nope. that was no. no that was basically doing a, a, a memory streaming. card like an SD card streaming directly you yeah. just basically blasted stuff off the card into the sound and the video screen you didn't go outside your 64k at all actually okay that's really cool <laughs> yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoy stuff like that now, what if um, I wanted to, uh, you know, I've been playing with the um, BMP files, and um, I was wondering if, if a program could be made to um, run through my uh, SDC card and play um, one picture after another, after another, after another. Um, is that a possible possibility to do some something like that in software or is that uh, well that is a software thing but we're talking about hardware right now yeah that almost sounds like ed snyder's got a media player for the coco sdc that yeah. does play like audio yeah. and video clips so that's so you don't like need a lot of memory software. for stuff like that right because at that point it's some of it's being done in the hardware of the sdc basically you got to view the, the the memory of that style of memory you got to view that like a hard drive it's like an sd Card yeah. hard drive, basically. Yeah. An SSD. That's, that's basically the similar concept on the on the Coke. Right. Mm -hmm. Um 
Okay, so where where did we just get uh, off? Okay, so so far we're here, we're here, we're here. And I do want to get to Paul Barton here in just a second because one of the things that we have right now is one of Paul's posts from this week because when we at the beginning of the show, Paul mentioned he got a cocoa. Would you paid thirty dollars for this, Paul? Yeah, he wanted forty, but I talked him down. <laughs> You charmer, you. Yeah, it's a good-looking cocoa. I had no idea what the thing was. So. Now, talk me through this nightmare that I see on here. This scares the crap out of me. Was this already here when you got it? Or did, is, yes. this the, is this the composite mod? Yeah, uh, it looks like it's on top of the 1372, so it's a two-transistor mod. Is this like a riser? Is this a riser card no. on top it's an earth uh, barrier that that's all one what? motherboard that's not yeah, a that, separate that, that's, that's that used to be uh, the little cover a, they used to put yeah, over top yeah. of the uh, top top side uh, shield yeah, I'm, oh they, they had like a little can cover. oh they had yeah, a little can an around it shield. oh it's like yeah, a can a uh, can around the uh, area yeah, a, yeah, a very large metal shield on top of it okay and down in the corner by the game slide it does say it's a rev e Okay. Hey, Richard Lorbieski, is he there? Yeah, I'm here. Hey, Richard, doesn't it look like uh, what was on my uh, TDP 100 that you took off? Oh yeah, yeah. And see that, and see the problem with the, those, and that's why I took it off. I have no schematics, no idea what you know. Try to f reverse engineer it out. So that's you know, I just said you know, you know, just take it out, and maybe one day you know, Paul could probably <coughs> come up with. Uh, I've got the schematics for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ah. I mean, there's there's open source stuff as well, but I just couldn't reverse engineer it that day. So sure, yeah. sure. Oh, uh, Al Hartman says this looks like uh, looks like Marty Goodman's composite mod from Hot Cocoa. <laughs> Probably is. Yeah, I'd like to know how much that. memory it has. So this is <clears> basically somebody just wire wrapped or soldered on a wire from. Is this like where the VDG output is over here somewhere? That's the thirteen seventy two chip. Okay, I'm not familiar with what that chip and is. They've stacked all those parts on top of the chip. Hmm. So if you look carefully, you will see the chip is up underneath that mess. And it still has to fit under the shield. Okay, <laughs> here's a close-up of it here a little bit, right? So, yeah, it just looks like yeah, a hot mess. That looks like self-modifying hardware to me. That's, self that's a board or something. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think they did do the mod like you were saying because you can see they also upgraded by adding the extra wire to do the memory addressing too on the other chips. So this is a home tinkerer's computer, not just one off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, what is this thing over here? Now that we got more tapped in leads. Yeah, that's for the memory upgrade. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Hey, you can even see the jumper below there on that picture. Now, the are these are these RAM chips here too? This is old school Motorola yeah. RAM. Yeah, yeah, oh, that that's kind of cool. Ceramic with gold lids. And then this yeah. is the uh, composite output that they put on there, huh? That's the jack on the back. Yep. Yeah, I mean this is a pretty cool find you got for thirty bucks for sure. Yeah. And yeah. and as, as far as you know, everything's working on it. Well, the keyboard doesn't work. Oh, okay, that's right. Keyboard. It looks like it's been sitting in a garage and it's full of dirt. Okay. So I've got to disassemble the keyboard and clean all the key contacts inside. Do, do any of the keys work? This one actually... Occasionally. <laughs> I 
tried to type. No, the, the reason I asked mark, is you know, I tried to say I tried to say print ma'am and I got the question mark and then I got the M and then I got the E and then it made two E's and I tried to back up and erased everything and that was like ten minutes. Wow. <laughs> I'll, I'll uh, buy it from you for twenty dollars. <laughs> I may just stick keyboard. another keyboard in it. <laughs> yeah. But this one awesome. actually has a printed circuit for the keyboard. Oh, interesting. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness gameplay Color Computer Gaming DVD today, head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. So I think they're cleanable. Yeah, from I remember the R, that'd be those, those twenty-eight little screws in the bottom you got to take out. Oh them. gosh, yes, yeah. those, those little those tiny are, things and springs and everything else. Yeah, that's pretty and cool. Picture of it, so you know where the keys go. <laughs> so where where were we going with this? Uh, well, right now I'm going through a bunch of different. Um, uh, postings. So that one wasn't going anywhere other than just to kind of show off what he found. Okay. Um, that particular one wasn't going anywhere, to answer your question. Um, we There is a few that we're going to get to where we hopefully will go somewhere in the next two or three tabs here. Um, another hardware post that came through this week was uh, Antonio uh, Jimenez, maker of the SD pack. Uh, he had posted about a week or so ago how he tried to remove his own 6809 and do a 6309 uh, replacement, and he ended up frying a trace on it, and he learned a valuable lesson on what not to do with hardware. Um, he sent his to uh, Richard Lorbieski of Boyson Tech and then showed some pictures of what happened when he got it back. And as you can see here, too, that motherboard looks really clean, right? And here's the socket of the 6309 being put in there. And so he's just showing off. This is uh, this is Richard's memory upgrade, and we'll get we'll get more into that uh, in a little bit as far as you know uh, overlapping products. Um, so this is the Boomerang 512 that Richard put in there for him, upgrading his RAM. Looks pretty good. Um, there's got the screws back and um, a little bit of a uh, commentary back to uh, some his earlier posts when he was showing off what happened. I think it was Eric Gavriluk in Facebook said something like, well, you know, when, it, when the power supply is not plugged in, you're going to have a problem. So just kind of some, uh, some, some comments went back and forth. So now here is, um, here is Antonio saying, yes, I plugged the power back in, right? So a little bit of um, not so passive aggressive um, harping on that issue there for a little while. So that came up this week in hardware, just showing off. Um, and, and I think it's worth mentioning who, who are the main people who are doing repairs right now? We, so Cloud9 does repairs, right? Jim Brain. Jim Brain does repair. Jim, do you, do you accept people to mail stuff into you to have, like, if somebody needed a trace fixed? Would, would, does Retro Innovations do that kind of stuff, like motherboard? I, I, uh, <clears throat> I, I, want, I wouldn't turn somebody away, but quite frankly, if, if they're looking for somebody, I'd point them to, to one of the other folks that you're going to be talking about. <laughs> I'd prefer not to do that if I don't have to. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Unless fair you enough. tip well. Yeah, right. well, yeah. I mean, you know, fix a trace for hundred bucks. Sure, I'll take your board. Sure. <laughs> All right. So right now, right now, the the main two sources for repairs then would be Cloud Nine and Boyson Tech. 
I think there's a couple of others that will, will do it uh, on the side. Uh, I think just as individuals. I think there was Paul Shoemaker, okay, out of Houston, and then there was a guy in Chicago, uh, Carmelius. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Yeah, like that? yeah, yeah. He says he he also does repairs, and I know Bill Noble has done repairs in the in the, in the past. Yeah. And I don't know if Neil Blanchard does uh, board repairs or not. I mean, that's, you know, I'm looking at, like, Canadian options because, of course, shipping stuff from Canada can be expensive to the United States oh, and yeah. back and forth. So. Sure, sure. I've done uh, some repairs in the past. I got one Coco 3 motherboard that had about half the traces ripped off the CPU. And I got it to work. It was a nightmare, though. Yeah. Yeah. Right, well, well, we've got Paul here, and the next couple of posts and tabs I have are are Pauls, and then, and again, this is kind of just I, I wanted to share my observation on this. I could be completely off base and oversensitive, but when I saw a couple of these posts here, so th this is what I see here. I see Paul Barton posting the fact that he's working on a memory board. Uh, I'm not an electronics expert. But by my observation here, I would say that this is pretty much not something that was designed for commercial production, but more like something that Paul's probably just doing for himself. And he's made a, uh, this is a two meg board here. Yeah, two uh, meg this, board. Uh, it's actually, the board on the left is an eight meg board. Okay. But if you, if you wire it as a standalone, it's 512. Okay. With the DAT board attached to it, currently it's 2 meg, so nitrous is happy. But okay. it has some hooks. It has all the hooks and all the cabling for it, that large cable, so it can go to 8. Wow. But when you did this, <clears throat> other than doing this for yourself, what was your goal? Was your goal to take this exact same design here and sell this to other people, or is this something you were just doing for, hey, I got these well, parts I and I want to put them together? I just wanted to see if I could recreate the old no cans. Yeah, yeah. And the reason it's in two pieces is because I'm using uh, Eagle on a laptop with Linux, so I only get Eagle Lite, and they severely limit your physical size. How much you could? That's as big as I can get on the one on the right. So, I can't so get e bigger. Eagle is the software you use to design the uh, circuit. It board. does the circuit, circuit board layout. Yes. Gotcha. Gotcha. Gotcha schematics yeah. and layout so it's a nice package but it took a while to learn it yeah now yeah. your, your no can stuff was done on a different kind of software package that you can yeah it was all now. done with orcad uh, yeah so here's here's camillus here his name is camillus block right camillus block how do you pronounce that blocks oh, yeah. block sure block. yeah yeah <laughs> The Nocan was developed early 90s, wasn't it? You built that in the, in the early yes. 90s? Yeah, yeah so this is really... That's right. This is basically a remake of your Nocan, isn't it? Yes. Of the memory portion yeah. of it. This doesn't have the serial port and the clock doubler. And everything oh, else right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just the memory yeah. portion, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, and again, this is just kind of my take on this, but when I, saw, when I saw Paul post this, and then we start getting some comments in here saying, well, you know... This doesn't look very clean, and we're going to compare it to Jim Brain's uh, commercial product, which is designed to be sold. It's two different things. 
And so I think one of the things that I wanted to talk about was, you know, if somebody's posting a picture of something they're working on, uh, hopefully we can have a safe enough space where people can post these things and not all of a sudden just have it be, well, you know, this doesn't look as good as X, Y, Z. And I'm not saying anybody did anything to be malicious or or vindictive or anything, but I just kind of saw this as we might be starting to venture into some unfriendly territory and I thought it was worthy of discussion and maybe I'm over analyzing what I saw or how I interpreted, you know, where this could go. But I figure we got Paul here. Paul Paul did this. Paul posted this picture. We got other people who make, um, <clears throat> you know, stuff. So I, th- I thought, you know, listen, hardware is a hardware is a hot topic. So let's talk well, about it. It's uh, as we said earlier, though. Um, Paul's doing this uh, not as a commercial product. He's doing right. it something he's learning. It's an extension of his old product. Whereas Jim is cre- creating his as a commercial product. But it's. You know, it comes down to the question: If you were in the market for, say, an eight, two or eight megabyte uh, expansion, which of those two would you buy? If they were both <laughs> commercial products, for example, not you know, forget that one's a, a you know a hobby thing. If they were both commercial products, which one would you buy of those two based on those pictures? Oh. Well, Do like either that. of them have a sound chip? No. <laughs> so, well, so they're they're equal in that term. You know, I mean, I'm, it's great what um, Paul's done. That, that, that's fine. I can't do it, but uh, I'm just saying that you know, as an end product, which one would you would you buy if it, they were both commercial products? Right. Well, that's right. why I think when people do start posting posts like this, I think one thing that should they should do, which would help alleviate some of this quote-unquote tension is to mention like this is a hobby thing i'm doing or this is meant to be a commercial product but maybe this is a really early prototype it's not going to look like this this is just me getting the you know the schematic working and fiddling around with it yeah if you identify that up front then i think that clears that That, the challenge i think that was pretty clear though the challenge ask paul paul what are your intentions after you successfully do this are you thinking of actually going to um produce something or um you know what do you expect to do well i thought about it but i don't see that there's much market for it for two meg more well two meg would be fine because i can get smaller parts and get it all on one board it's for eight meg i don't i don't see the practicality of it basically you have a six meg ram drive (laughs) So if somebody off the internet was able to contact you and say, could you make me a 512K or could you make me a 2 meg board? You know, you would arrange with them to make it and send it to yeah, them? Yeah, sure, that would be no problem. But you're not going to have uh, Barton Industries and, <laughs> you know, a name for your product and stuff like that? Well, I'll probably stick with the old no-can because most people know what that is. Okay. Sorry, Jim, you were trying to say something, too. I don't think Jim's product is a finished product yet, either, is it? No, that's the thing. I, I think, I mean, not to say you guys' ideas aren't aren't good. It's just, um, I don't know that I'd call the board I designed a finished product. I mean, it was um, <clears throat> just like uh, just like Paul, there's various stages. So the first stage of prototyping would be what you saw Nick doing, which is the little cable coming out and you got the solderless breadboard that you're going to use. The problem with that is those 
those are good for interfacing projects, but they don't really work that well for um, very fast timing. Those solderless breadboards right. have the electrical interference on them can get unmanageable very quickly. So the next batch is to do that uh, breadboard, or not breadboard, but that that uh, prototype board that you saw somebody had done a picture of earlier in one of mm-hmm. um, one of your postings, right? So that's the next step of it. <clears throat> um, quite frankly, when you deal with some of this stuff, like like Paul's doing right here, when you have a pretty good idea of how you want it to lay out, and so and you don't really want to wire it up because chances are, after you get past maybe wiring up twenty or thirty wires, the the margin for error of wiring up one of those little wires incorrectly um, gets to be larger than the cost of just spinning a board. Even though you might have to cut a few traces on the board, it's like 90% done, and all you got to do is fix the 10% that's broken. So you go to design a board, and you just design one, and Paul's got a challenge in that he has the free version of the software he's using, and so it limits him on board size. I don't have that challenge because I bought the software, so... I I was able to do a larger board, but <clears throat> even the board I have is still a, um, a I would say a prototype or a, a project board. To your point, Curtis, because right. um, you know it's it's it was it was can I even do this? Right? Is it even possible? And then oh yes, it is possible. Okay, now what it what do you what do you do? And I'll I'll be honest with you, Curtis. You know, not to necessarily call you and Nick out, but. Um, when we had initial conversations, when I had initial conversations with you guys, I'm, I'm like, hey, look at this. I got this done. And then you guys immediately were like, oh, hey, can you have this feature and this feature and this feature? Well, and, <laughs> and so when you do that, you're like, well, there's no way I can, I can put those kinds of features in the product, in the project as it exists right now. I got to change the technology in order to do something like that. I'm not saying your ideas are invalid, but when some people say, well, where, where, how long is it going to be? You know, is the Cocoa Mem board, you know, like Camillus this morning, like how much can I pay for this and when's it going to be available? Well, part of that has to do with, it sounds to me like the market would prefer to have a few more things on this board than just memory expansion. And so yeah. that's fair. But to do that, it requires a, a kind of a next jump of generating a design, and that takes time. And um, part of that taking time is my comfort level in in doing that because uh, I'm sure you can all imagine but debugging a memory board is extremely tough because until it par- until it works most of the way the machine won't even boot so you can't do anything right, right? You can't you can't run any code you can't test any peak values you can't do squat so it's very hard to debug a memory board um, when it's not working at all so <clears throat> that's a that's a challenge um, but right now, I would say the board that you see on the picture is still a prototype or a project board, much like um, much like Paul's is. I've done a few more of them, so I probably mine probably look a little bit more finished than Paul's does. Um, but I think the challenge that we have is so I understand your point, Steve, and that hey, we want a safe space so people can say, "Here's my project, and I'm really proud of it." And what you really want to see is a whole bunch of people saying, "Yay for you! Very much appreciated. Kudos!" Da 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 da. I think part of the time though is is when is the appropriate time to let a designer know that additional functionality or a slightly different way of doing something would be something they should consider. How do you how do you interject that into the conversation? Because they're because the worst thing from a design standpoint, I know that you know Paul wants to 
and I saw that too. Paul wants to recreate his NOCAN 3 memory technology, and that's great. Um, but he's also learning a bunch of technologies, and he's you know trying to kind of get up to speed on some things like that. And, and so one of the questions that he may have is, is there something obvious that I'm missing that it could add a whole lot of value to this board that may make it commercially uh, more viable or commercially more interesting um, that would justify putting a couple of them together and, and selling them to people? When do you inject that into the conversation? That There needs to be a place for that. If there's going to be a place for people just to say, I don't want to hear any comments about my project. I just want you to all um, appreciate the fact that I designed it. Then there needs to be a place where people can, people designers can say, um, I'm interested in comments, constructive comments from the, from the, uh, from the crowd on what may, what, what might I perhaps think about as I continue this project's development. Well, I think you hit, you hit it on the head there, saying constructive comments. Like, pardon my French, don't be a dick about it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. don't just immediately slam the person. That's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. What's those wires hanging out? You know, like, that, that's <laughs> not constructive comments. Right. If you want to give right. suggestions, I mean, Nick and I, I, we wrote a little spec of some things we would like to see. And I'm not a hardware guy, so I don't know if this is possible or stupid from my point of view, which is why I sent it to you to comment on yourself, because I don't know what the limits are. I don't know what, what's available, what mm-hmm. CPLDs could do, et cetera. So. Right. Every time I get to see Paul Barton, <laughs> it's an ex- exploration uh, thing because he's always got a little box of stuff he's working on or doing <laughs> things, and it's like, oh wow, look at this! What are you doing now? You know, and there's all kinds of goodies on his desk. Well, to comment on what Jim was yeah. saying about safe place to talk about and like that, I found that Discord has been a very safe place for a lot of people that are creating new product, mm-hmm. and the Coco community is very active there. And we have both text discussions where you type in your messages, and we have the, uh, you know, late at night, we are usually on there chatting with each other. And I found those very constructive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's something about when you're talking to the person, you're not likely to say, oh, that's a piece of crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's true. I mean, talking to somebody, like, and actually hearing their voice and talking in a conversation, even Jim doesn't troll as much when he's live on the show than he does in the chat. (laughs) So it kind of proves the point. The Coco Fest was awesome because you got to actually meet the people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things I would say, if if you, you know, I would take your position, Steve, because I think your, your passion is very... Um, useful. I would constructively apply it to um, the fact that I think if there's a dialogue between design team and 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 potential consumers or enthusiasts in the marketplace around what could make a product better and whatnot, maybe they don't write it correctly or whatnot, but that's a dialogue probably worth having. The dialogue that I would prefer to not have is the one where um, in right back. It, you know the 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 product is uh, you, you put out something and somebody put posts or whatever is in a, a conversation like Coco Talk or podcasts or whatever, and they say, well, I don't know why you'd ever need this or I don't know why this would be ever useful. But I guess if, if you're interested in that, that's a very that, – that, that really is challenging for a design resource, especially if it's – something that's broadcast over things like social media and whatnot because the design person 
really just looks at that and they're saying, well, I'm not going to get a lot. Of, I'm not going to make a ton of money on this. Really, the only value that it's provide is is uh, seeing people happy about the you know about the product. And if they're going to diss it, and I'm not even done with it, maybe I'd not even bother finishing it. Maybe I'd just quit and and do something else. <clears throat> we yeah, we can't discount. Um good constructive feedback i mean that's important for a, a designer i think it's good that a designer or someone or someone designing a, a circuit should listen to what people are <coughs> saying because that gives them an idea of you know how to improve on their product uh lets them decide you know am i wasting my time am i doing this completely wrong to what everyone is expecting or wanting uh, case in point, look at uh, Curtis and his uh, ease of use version of OS 9. I don't think uh, that would have be begun if I hadn't started uh, criticizing OS 9 and all the weaknesses, all the bad things. <laughs> I mean, would would Curtis have started the ease of use project? I, <laughs> I don't think so. He just would have kept on going with OS 9, the same old bugs and all yeah. that. But, but but the thing is, you did it constructively. Like you, well, you weren't thing, slamming yeah. me personally for writing Nitrous Nine. You were, I mean, you did it with a sense and of humor, which was you? obvious. But <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you weren't saying, you know what, OS Nine sucks. It's always going to suck. Forget it. It's, it's a waste of your time. You didn't say that. It wasn't no, him. No, it was no, marionettes no. anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. right. That that. that <laughs> um, no, I was saying it could be better, you know, yeah. and that's the difference, and that's what you cotton on to, and you started the ease of use, and ease of use is great. It's well, it's not finished yet, but it's heading in the right direction. I, I, I have stopped criticizing OS Nine since then, and the the same can be said with hardware. If you see a piece of hardware and you think, well, that's a good piece of hardware, but it could be better, so you send out this feedback to the designers as encouragement. Well, yeah. I guess it depends on how it's how it's presented yeah, it's and how it's perceived. Lift, yeah. 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 Um well, that's uh, like the keyboard that's coming. Yeah. Well, so I think some of the things that Jim Jim touched on. So Jim is basically mentioning how well listen, I, I'm I'm talking about some products that I want to make or produce and maybe not everybody gets it. And I think specifically you're saying if this is happening on a uh, well, listen, there's only two podcasts, so we can narrow this down. But if this is happening on a, and a, somebody's publicly saying so and so is making a product, and I don't understand why they're making that product, in your case, you're finding that statement being um, uh, kind of counter counter motivational for you to possibly continue to work on the project. Is that kind of what you were saying there, Jim? I think I definitely for me because yeah. I have I have. You know, I have a number of platforms that I can devote my evening hours to, and so sure. part of which platform I'm going to focus my energy on has to do with um, the the one that I you know I post some progress on it, and people go, um, "That's really cool." Or here's another thing. You know, I think somebody earlier in the chat, and and there's some other people that have said um, in your postings that you were looking at earlier in the week, people are saying maybe we need to have some better, newer types of projects, right? Different things, as opposed yeah. to everybody doing another memory or everybody doing a sound card. Yeah. Maybe we need to expand our horizons. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great, except when people do expand the horizons and say, okay, we're going to do something completely different, I think you have to be very careful 
that's not going to I mean it's different and so it may be it may be an an itch that not everybody has right so for those people that don't have it i think the community needs to be good stewards and say i don't know i don't need that but probably somebody does and i'm excited that it's it's another piece of hardware in a new space for this platform um yay for them even though i personally am not going to get any value out yeah. of their deliverable but yeah. but but coming in and saying until I can see any value in this, I'm not going to. Uh, I, I'm going to be somewhat dismissive or pessimistic about it. That's very challenging because then, if you turn around later and say, "Well, why aren't there really new things around there?" Well, you dissed them all, so we gave up. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Jim, where's your heart uh, as far as uh, Coco or Commodore or some of these other machines? Um, what did you start with? Commodore was where I started, um, but I mean, all the 8-bit platforms are a lot alike, and so I don't know that it's it, it, it really at this point because I deal with hardware. I think it primarily has to deal with which which vendors had some really cool things that they did, right? So um, the MPI, for instance, is how I got interested in the color computer because most every other uh, other home computer system. Just had a, a bunch of they had basically like like a big Y cable, right? You can plug as much stuff as you want into our expansion port, but they're all just going to be connected all the time. I think Tandy was one of the very was one of the few manufacturers that put a uh, addressable, you know, set of slots on their computer. Um, and Apple. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, other people Apple did too, but and 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 some people could say the peripheral expansion box on the on the TI also has that capability but coming from the Commodore where everybody just plugs things in and we just hope and pray that they work together um, the MPI seemed like a really cool technology marvel and then when I realized that the Coco 3 had the ability to do more memory um, and I didn't have any expanded memory obviously you can put those two together right here's a guy who can design hardware and he he seems to be lacking a memory expansion. He could buy one from Cloud9, but what's the fun in that? It'd be easier to design one and figure out what you yes. know what has to be done. So that's kind of the you know that's kind of how you move along. And then you know oh we need you know there's there's a need for RS232 or there's a need for sound or there's a need for whatever. Those are things that are interested. And for a while you can kind of ride the wave, but after you get unfortunately it only takes a fraction of the negative comments online and Facebook and so forth for you to say, oh, I got three hours tonight. I can work on something. Do I want to work on some Cocoa solution or, oh, look at that. They really don't like this idea. I guess I'll go work on something else. I, I, I know that sounds petty, mm-hmm. but you got to understand that you're not going to make a ton. Even if you do this stuff, you know, Cloud9 does not make he he does. Uh, uh, Mark Marlette does not. This is not his primary business, right? It's his, mm-hmm. it's something he does on the side. So, you're not going to make a ton of money, or justify your existence via software or hardware sales. So you're doing it for the fun of it. And if you come down to do work on something and you don't get a lot of satisfaction out of it because the community doesn't seem to be supporting it, then you'll go do something else. It's just the nature of human nature. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would like to encourage you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and I appreciate that. I'm I'm not necessarily trolling for additional encouragement. I would just say, especially as you guys are online, like doing this sort of broadcast, because these, you know, and I know Steve loves to hear this, but 
things like Coco Talk and Coco Crew Podcast and the the social media Facebook pages and whatnot, they have a pretty long and and lengthy reach, right? So they exist out there for a long time. And if somebody comes new into the arena and they say, oh man, what kind of hardware project should I buy for my brand new cocoa I bought at the flea market last week? I'm going to log into these podcasts and these video chats and I'm going to see what's going on. Um, I think constructive criticism on a product like, oh, I wish that this could be added to the next version, that's great. But if you hear, if, if somebody's new into the community and they say, well, I don't know why you'd even need this, well, that person's not going to continue thinking about that particular product option. And so there's like a perspective enthusiast you've lost before you even had a chance to convince them that your solution was maybe interesting. <clears throat> well, if you logically follow how um, people join or they first get their machine, the very next thing they think about is probably software, where to get it, what to, you know, what to run, play games, whatever. Uh, and then the next thing is, do I have enough memory? Um, yep. You know, and the SDC, and then, you know, it starts getting to be a snowball of things, you know? Yeah. All, okay. all that is good activity for the for the uh, whole community though i mean if you are a designer and you're building away there and there was no comments whatsoever no one sure talking about your stuff there's no activity well you get bored you know half the half the time you are doing something partially driven by your own ego let's face it you're building something to impress not only yourself, but to others. And if there's no one else to impress, if there's no one else talking about it, you think, oh, okay, well, I've lost interest in that. Let's do something else. I think it's good in the Coco community that we do have things like Coco Talk and the Facebook pages and, and, and all that. And there are people talking about it, plus and minus, you know, negative and positive comments. It's all activity. It, it's, it all adds life to the whole community. And that's that's part of the fun of being part of the Coco or any retro community, being part of the whole a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I got a call from or a text from somebody saying they want to make a digitizer like the uh, DS69B, and um, they asked if they can use my um, post that I showed of uh, different you know pictures that I posted because they want to. Um, start making their own and show, uh, you know, what what the result would look like on their machine. I think it's the um, maybe in South America or something. I don't know. But that was neat that we inspired them to do he, something. He wants to build a digitizer. Yeah, they want to build one. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, well, there's a whole. Yeah, there's the whole circuits are, are on my website if they want to copy that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I just uh, let me let me jump in here for two seconds. Number one, Paul, we're hearing a lot of squeaking noises coming from you, like somebody's opening or closing a door in the background. So I don't know if you can either fix that or maybe mute your mic when you're not talking, because that's it's very loud in in my headphones. I'm not sure how if it's coming through to anybody else. Now during when Jim Brain was talking too, uh, John Linville of the Coco Crew podcast chimed in and said, "Sounds like we may need to have Jim on the Coco Crew podcast for another chat." So maybe your message was received, and maybe you'll have another chance to, um, uh, you know, uh, have you know get get that out um, over the airwaves. Um, 
now uh, I think we should take a, a break, but there's another thing I want to show that's that's been on the Facebook page. But we've been talking about this for a while. I I would like to continue the, this this topic a little bit longer if everybody's okay with that. But I think we should probably take about a minute and a half break. So I'll run a commercial. We'll all go potty and we'll come back. Is that cool? Yeah, sure. All it's fine right. even by us here at, with the EOU Ego of Use project. So Ego of Use, and I'll start <laughs> off. Since we have been talking about new Cocoa hardware and uh, one of the hottest selling and highest demanded products of new Cocoa hardware recently has been the switcheroo. So we'll start things off with a little switcheroo spot, then we'll run our normal minute and a half commercial break and we'll be back after these words, kids. Switcheroo, the RGB discard solution for the Color Computer 3. Use your Cocoa with a modern display. Go from RGB to composite with just the flip of a switch. Crikey! The switcheroo. Artifact colors do not work in Australia. Hashtag irony. Coco3scartcable.com Yeah? Hi, I'm Tim. Playing dagger with like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk. I'm After these messages, we'll be right back. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. Hey guys, Stevie Stroh, and for almost a year now, we've been hosting a weekly live talk show on YouTube called Coco Talk about an extremely obscure retro computer system from 1980. But in this time, we've figured out how to fine tune the live streaming talk show format, and we've also figured out that people love to get together and talk about things that they enjoy and that they have in common. So we are now taking this format to cover a much broader variety of topics that hopefully more people will be interested in and more people will tune in and join us for. So our first experiment was to turn Coco Talk into an offshoot called Coco Talk After Dark. And that's kind of the drinking game version of our show. It's got a very cool lounge vibe to it. A lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Coco Talk After Dark has evolved into Retro Talk, where each week we can talk about different retro topics and different retro systems. And now we are also working on a new show called Geek Talk, where we will talk about just about anything in geek culture, from movies to video games, old and new, to comic books, to collectibles, you name it. We want to make social media social again. We don't want to just post and comment. We want to talk and we want to listen and we want you to talk with us about the things that interest you, about the things that you love, about the things that you want to geek out on. So join us on a future talk show that will be both live here on Facebook and on YouTube. So follow OG Stevie Stroh on Facebook, follow CocoTalk.live on Facebook, and hit me up on my website, OGStevieStroh.com. And as these new shows are being planned and developed and scheduled, we will try to let you know when they're out there. Get the word out because we want you to join us. And we want to talk about the stuff we love and we want to have a good time. So we'll see you there, people. Peace out. From Radio Shack, the TRS-80 Model 3. And at $200 off, it's a great value. Select from Radio Shack's huge program library to aid your children's education, plan your personal and household budgets, or to entertain with fast action games. You can even learn to write programs. The TRS-80 Model 3, on sale for $7.99, only at Radio Shack and Radio Shack Computer Centers, the computer experts. All right, well, we are back. 
and um, we're talking hardware, we're talking community, we're just talking philosophies, opinions, suggestions, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so I think one of the posts for me that also kind of got me thinking that this is worth talking about. And by the way, has this been worth talking about or have we just wasted everybody's lives today? <laughs> well, this was an interesting show today. Okay. All right. So um, another post that came up again, Ron, Ron Delvaux is just the guy who stirs shit up apparently, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ron posted a picture here again of a memory board um, and uh and a protector, I guess we get an equivalent protector, because that's what um, that's what the Cloud9 version of this product is called. So, it says Paul T. Barton made me a Bitbuster 512K upgrade for my Cocoa 3 and a processor guard for my 6309. So, um, so was this new stuff, Paul, that you had made for him just recently? You just came by and whipped up a batch of uh, products for Ron, or is this stuff you already had laying around? Or is Paul still here? Or did we lose Paul? He's probably. The memory board is part of his 8 meg uh, uh, expansion. That's the left half of the circuit that you saw before. Okay, is this, is this a relatively new design he's working on? Yeah, he's yeah. been working on it for probably a month. Okay. All right, and so he right. whipped this up for you, Ron, right? Yeah, and the idea was to make it so that uh, it didn't draw as much as the performance peripheral ones that I showed you earlier with all the chips on it. Right, it, right. It draws right. a whole lot more power. Okay. So this is something that Paul's working on. He's working on a little memory board of his own. Now this one here too, the CPU. Um, what this is basically kind of like a, a circuit breaker, right? So if you're going to get a high voltage charge that would have smoked the chip, it's basically going to trip well, the circuit breaker. It, it completely chips. isolates the processor from the um, bus. Bus, so yeah. that uh, you know if you put put something in crooked or whatever, you're not going to damage your CPU. Right. I would right. I would say it's probably more like fuses. <laughs> more fuses, okay. yeah, fuses. Yeah, than a exactly. Breaker. Yeah, like a fuse. Uh, you guys okay. know better. Right now, this is similar to a product that um, that uh, Cloud Nine sells. It's called the Protector. Right, right? now, mm -hmm. did did Paul have a version of this design back in the day, or is this like a relatively new design he came up with recently? I do not know. Okay. I can't remember I don't, if the NoCan three had that or not. What's that, Curtis? I said I can't remember if the NoCan 3 had that circuitry built in or not. Okay. I don't. I don't think it did. I think this no. is something that I think this is something that Paul was intrigued by. Yes. Um, that uh, I, I, part of it, I think, was at the sh at Coco Fest. Um, Mark Marlette showed off a two meg um, version of his Triad board, a, a prototype, um, and he was using a protector um, board with like a CPLD soldered onto the top of the unit to, to do the whole two meg thing. And so I think, I think that probably is one of the things that stirred Paul's interest is the protector version, protector, you know, component of that expansion. Cause um, part of this whole design work here, I think was just a bunch of uh, stepping stones to what he showed earlier, the, the eight meg, uh, DAT board like the the Disto NoCan three functionality plus the eight meg of memory that you see up on the screen right now. Okay, okay, and then this just triggered a very long thread of yeah, things, right? And so one of the first ones was was uh, and again I, I, when you post it as a comment, it's really hard to tell what the context is and you know what the tone of this is. But one of the first comments was that 
hey, we need to come up with new ideas. And and so I guess the paraphrase of that is is hey, these products already exist. Why are we why are we making existing products? Again, I don't want to put somebody else's words in my mouth, but this is, you know, when you say that we need to brainstorm new hardware projects, which we are talking about today, what are we also saying? Are we saying that somebody shouldn't be making these? Or, or and again, I'm not saying that's what he's saying, but are, are, are people thinking about this right now? Um, okay, Paul Barton's making a memory board. Paul Barton's well, making a well, protector. Well, let me see something. Um, First off, um, Paul Barton, when I met him, had no Cocos. And uh, I felt compassion toward him, so I gave him a Cocoa 2 and a Cocoa 3. Well, um, he got the 3, opened it up, and saw that the uh, keyboard wasn't working, so he hardwired the keyboard, you know, and fixed that, and then he started working on his stuff all over again, which is cool. So, right. now, for some reason, he figures um, he wants to pay me back or something, so he he sends me those, uh, these, you know, he gave me these two boards, and um, he fixed two other ones I had and he was able to use one for himself and so we just are giving each other like I gave him a, a, a drive and a, a drive controller the controller didn't work he fixed it he gave it back to me and I said you're not going to use the drive he goes no I, I, I'm going to be using my SDC and um, I don't have any use for it so I said okay and um, that's just how it's been to back and forth so when I got the stuff, I posted it, and then this litany of things have happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely sparked, it sparked a lot of discussion. So, so he's basically doing some stuff for you because you helped him. He's helping you. Yeah. You scratch my back. And you guys are kind of sort of neighbors. You both live in Arizona, so you're not yeah. too far from each other. So that's yeah, kind so of cool that, that you guys have found, you've formed this friendship now and everything, which is yeah. very cool. Uh, and he, he obviously seems like he's a projecty, tinkery kind of guy. He likes to work on oh, yeah. stuff. And now oh, that yeah, he's if you ever got, saw Cocozilla. Yeah. So yeah. And now now that he's got some hardware in his hands, he's a busy beaver. He's just building right. dams, right? So which is cool, right? So the, the 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 statement was made, we need to brainstorm new projects. Now we we are brainstorming those right now. And then here's a list of now here's here's where Jim Jim was saying that you know it's nice to get encouragement we've mentioned constructive criticism we mentioned things like that but can it also be a slippery slope where you've got feature creep designed by committee you've got the armchair quarterbacks that want to say we need this you got to have this it's no good unless you're going to have that those discussions have come up uh, obviously not everybody truly understands what it takes to design hardware so it's well has the old proverb go wish in one hand shit in the other see which one fills up first right so um it's real easy to ask when you don't have to design and deliver and 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 part of that too is you know consumers do drive innovation to a degree but the designers are for are faced with the reality of making this come to fruition and so i think there's definitely um a balancing act that needs to happen between the consumer and the creators on what we want versus what we can deliver and what's realistic and um, things like that. So when we started saying, let's brainstorm some new ideas, well, Coco 2 to HDMI with artifacting, right? And so this is, now this guy here, James, he's new, right? So he's the one that always comes in with the bonehead question of the day. <laughs> he's one of the new guys, here's my bonehead sure. question today, right? So what he's asking for, well, it already exists, right? So we've got Coco 2, we've got the Coco VGA project, and you can convert VGA to HDMI. So part of it, too, is there's so much stuff going on. If only there was a website you could go to 
that maybe told you all these things were. But yeah, so people are going to come new to the community saying, hey, what do I have this? Do I not have that? So um, Coco VGA is a product that will do that. Um, Rich, and then we, we brought up the question of what's wrong with choice. We'll, we'll get back to that, right? So, uh, of course, there was um, there's, there's some tongue-in-cheek humor going across there. Uh, John Linville says, sure, everybody should be able to build what they want, but it's also good to have variety, which definitely agrees. Uh, we started joking about 512K upgrades. That's fine. Um, these Me Too designs <laughs> present, okay, so Jim Brain says these Me Too designs represent the community's general disdain for new types of devices. So when, um, where are we going with all this? Is there a moral to this story? So then we'll get into, uh, <laughs> Okay, whatever. So we started off by by um, by Rondovo posting a couple of pictures, and then this really opened up a can of worms. Um, you know, do we need to be re remaking things that already exist? Do we need to brainstorm? Do we need more? And I think all of these things here um, probably worth talking about. Um, again, I just want to. I I don't know if there is this camp of of the establishment of Cloud Nine. Is there this unwritten rule? That because Cloud9 made this thing and this thing is available through them, that it's holy ground and nobody should touch it. I don't know if people are saying that or if that's an unwritten rule or if that's just an old world school of thought where this is how it always was, this is the way it needs to be. Or um, I'm, uh, I don't know if some if some people still have that mentality that, yep, yeah, it's Mark Marlette makes it we're good, somebody makes something else. I'm not saying anybody said that, I'm just wondering if that exists in anybody's subconscious that that's the way it's always been, so let's do something different. Um, uh, and, and again, we got a couple guys here who make hardware, so um, and maybe we can use memory as one of those examples, right? So the Triad board, it exists, it's a great product, reasonable price, but there are options that exist, there's options on the horizon. Um, Maybe this is a good segue for Richard Lorbieski. Yeah, I think the probably the challenge in the in the community was that the triad board is um, it's a functional board. It provides 512k memory. I think it was a bit of a um, given the price of Coco threes um, and the price of a triad board. I think that was seen as a it's a it's a pretty pricey. Um, uh, addition to to a Coco three, and so well, I think over the um, seemed like it was sixty or sixty five oh. or something um, dollars. And I think you could pick up a Coco three for what a hundred, hundred and twenty. Um, at least you could a couple years ago. Um, so anyway, I think there was a and the protector. I think the protector was like thirty or forty dollars or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so. I think over the last few years, and probably to to Curtis's perspective, um, there's been some additional interest in the community. Probably some newer folks like Ed Snyder and myself who've come in and said, "Oh, this is an interesting community to in you know to you know design for and whatnot." Um, probably started people thinking, "Well, is 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 there a competitive option in the marketplace or whatnot?" I think there was sort of a deference that. You know, if Cloud9 was developing something, that you should stay out of that particular space. But even Mark seems to have changed his perspective on that because at CocoFest he said, I don't remember if he said it um, during his 
kind of discussion time or if it just was um, uh, to a bunch of people standing around his area. But I remember him saying something effective. Well, everybody seems to be making uh, two meg expansion uh, memory boards now, so I'm going to throw my hat in the ring as well. So I think there's an indication now that, at least from Mark's perspective, whatever may have been the reality in the past, he's willing to say, okay, I'm willing to be in a level competitive field. If you guys are developing a two-meg board, I feel justified in being in that space as well. Um, the converse always also should be true now is if if Mark has a solution in a space, then he probably can't be too surprised if a product comes into the marketplace that's a competitor to his product. I don't know if he did that because he he saw that people were already starting to move in on his on his uh, product line or what, but but it seems like he is saying, okay, well, if this is the way it's going to be, or maybe I've decided this is an okay way for it to be, I'm going to launch into this space because it appears like other people are already in this space. Yeah. My personal opinion is that the, at the beginning when you guys started coming into the market um, in competition with Cloud9, that there was a bit of that intransience of, of wanting to... I mean, first of all, you guys were kind of the unknowns. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you were big in the Commodore world, but we didn't really know that mm-hmm. or what you know what exactly you were capable of doing. So I think there would have been a transition phase of a couple of years of getting familiar enough with your products and you know how you handle selling them and, and warranting them and whatever else. Uh, to get the community comfortable with, yeah, okay, we can trust these guys too. Mark's been around for 20 years, so we'll, yep. he's, he's got that trust already built in. Mm-hmm. So I think that was part of it, and I think that is starting to shift. And I think Mark realizes it's competition. You guys are obviously already realize it's competition. And I think it's it's just kind of opening up the market now for for competition, basically. Well, but, the other, competition is the key, because at the show, the price for his triad dropped more than half. It was more than half. It was. It was almost. It went from forty. Uh, it went from fifty-five originally, and that's what he was selling them from four, uh, forty-five to fifty-five throughout the years. And he started out at twenty-seven, and he dropped it down to fourteen ninety-five. Wow. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for the competition, he would have never done it. So reason for the price drop, he wanted to sell out inventory because he's looking at going with the two meg, and. He wasn't selling boards because there was competition at half his price. So, yeah, you know, keyboard that, looks like a good thing too. Does, oh no, does. Does. so so let me just ask the direct question here. I think I know the answer. It's probably rhetorical, but uh, brand Y and brand Z. You're both making memory. Did anybody say when I decided to make this memory, I specifically and deliberately want to take money out of another person's pocket? That answer is probably unequivocally no, right? No, it was not. And one of the reasons <laughs> I came up with the 512, I'm going to jump in on this because yeah. the reason I came up with the 512K board is because one of the things I'm doing is I'm planning to restore co- uh, Cocos and other retro computers uh, and also add value to them. Uh, unfortunately, that Triad 512 is too expensive to add and be competitive to try to sell a 512K Coco. That's why I came out with the boomerang. That was that was the whole idea behind it. You know, a lot of the products that I've come up with or wanting to come up with are things that I personally want or like, and basically I'm sharing them to other people just to defray the cost. 
Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, nobody's making big bucks here. <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. But and, but that's 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 the whole idea behind the five twelve. I mean that that is why I did the boomerang. Um, I, I think another another benefit besides besides having choices or having in the choices or even just more outlets right to buy from. Um, the problem we have right now, which we've already mentioned today, we've only got pretty pretty much one source for three D printed cases. That's John Strong. He's one guy. He's only got so much time, so much resources. Now we're on a holding pattern for cases, right? So wouldn't it be nice if we had the choice of another case maker, right? And then what if that case maker says, hey, I can make the Coco SDC and, you know, I, I can make it for $2 cheaper. Well, again, is he screwing John Strong or is he just going to force John Strong to lower his price by 2 bucks too to be competitive? And now we got two choices. We got two outlets to get a case from, and uh, now we're going to save two dollars in the process. Um, what what, the, what is the uh, lifetime expectancy of a printer anyway? I mean, don't after a while they have to be rebuilt or redone, or you know, after so many runs, do you wind up having to realign the, the thing? Or? The that depends on actually, the actually, the cost on the. Oh, sorry. The the 3D printing, the biggest cost is the material, uh, the plastics uh, that is used to make those uh, uh, th uh, things. Yeah, and also not, time. They're not industrial type devices. They're well, hobbyist well, devices, aren't they? Well, they there's hobby hobbyists and industrial. The, they have hobbyists. They have professional. And here's the thing is if you can get somebody design the case, they don't have to build them. You can farm it out to lots of different shops out there that build cases from your designs. So right. do you yeah, think he it, has, it, he doesn't most, have an industrial one, right? No, I don't think he no. does. Yeah, at the most he might have to replace the, uh, the. I don't know what kind of, they call the head on those. Uh -huh. But well, it's a well, very depending on their, depending long on their design, time between it. Depending on the design, the, uh, the servos can wear out or the stepper motors will wear out. The gears can wear out. Uh, um, there, there's also in the pad, you can have a heating element because the better printers, you keep the surface warm so you don't get a curl. So there, there's a lot of issues in these printers. But the thing is, as you go but up it, in price, you become more professional and they last longer. But it would be, it would, it would be a... Um to, to your point, Steve, I think there's a definite value there. In fact, I would split it into two components. There is, there is case manufacturing and there is case design, right? Exactly. Like I said, I have a 3D printer here. In fact, I have a really nice one. I have a Lulzbot TAS-6, so it's you know researched, and I feel like it's an excellent printer. If somebody were to give me a design for a case, like if somebody had, hey, here's the MPI case, go ahead and, and do it. I have one of the heated beds, top-end, multi-struder, does all the plastic types, whatever. I could set this thing to work, and you know what? I could, I could do a whole bunch of cases, but I do not have the time right now to learn how to design a sure. case. It's, it's a yeah. CAD modeling thing, That's right? where John comes in is because he knows how to design the cases. Right. Maybe we yeah, get him to shift from design and build to just design. License, license and the design. License yeah. the design. Yeah. Design yeah. and prototype so, maybe, and that's as far as he has to go. That's right, and that would be that would be perfectly okay. In fact, you if you once they have the design, if I really needed them in a hurry, you can send them to, um, oh, I don't know what they, 
place is, but you can send them and have Shapeways. That's the name of it. You can send your design to Shapeways and you say, you know what? I want 50 of these and they print them out and they deal with all the issues Mm -hmm. and they ship 50 printed cases and they're all perfect and you go on with life. So definitely there is an opportunity there and just, you know, if somebody can, can see that, then that can be their thing to add value to the community. So when you make a hardware device, what are the steps to actually getting it to when it's working? Like you first design the board, right? And then you have to submit the board to somebody to manufacture five or six so that you can prototype them? Or how does it work? That's true. That's exactly how it is. So just like Paul was saying earlier, you get a specialized computer-aided design program. I use Eagle, and so does Paul and... I think Ed uses uh, KiCad, but he might use Eagle as well. I so use you, Eagle as well too. Yeah, so there is no, there's a couple of them that are they're either inexpensive or like KiCad's free. So anyway, you design your you, first. You have to design your circuit, and then you lay out the board, and then you're right. You send a board design off somewhere, and and about a week or so later, unless you're in a big hurry, a couple boards comes back, and it's really cheap. It's like five bucks plus shipping. Mm-hmm to get your boards and then you get them and then you have to put all the parts on them and then you put it in the unit and that all that part right there was pretty easy then you turn on your computer and nothing works and then (laughs) that's where the real fun begins right and so i think that is you know that's in the in the design of hardware there's there's um an inspirational portion which is really easy like oh i should make a you know, Coco VGA or whatnot. And then there's the laying out the board and doing all that, and that all doesn't take a ton of time. And then you get the boards back, and then you solder them all up, and you put it in there, and then you spend hours, weeks, months, maybe even years trying to get the actual thing to work. And then once you get it to work on your machine, then you got to go send it to a whole bunch of other people and say, well, I have a Revy 1986 Gimme uh, Coco 3 from Korea, and you have a Japan Coco 3 Rev D. 87 gimme and so I got to do all the different combinations and the different board placements and everything whatever it is that's required you got to do all that and then if it's an external product then you got to talk to somebody like John Strong and say what do I do about a case because nobody wants to buy a a piece printed circuit board and then like Ed said he was going to do the other day you got to write a dot you got to write a manual and that takes a lot of time and so there's just a whole bunch of stuff that has to happen before you can say okay I'm ready to put this product in the marketplace and sell it don't forget drivers. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah, drivers and and you got to be available for people initially. And the other thing you got to do nowadays, especially if it's something new, is you got to go online to social media and say, you know, take the take the uh, um, the uh, whipping boy that we've been using over the last few months. Right, this is my super uber sound card, and it's better than everybody else's. And so you need to buy it from me and and everything. So you got to evangelize your product as opposed to the other products in the marketplace. Um, because it's best, and then you drive some sales, and you get some. To to Marlette, uh, to um, Nick's perspective, it strokes your ego, and then you move on to your next project. Does that answer I just, your question. I just Ron? tell people to buy it, or the dog gets it. <laughs> the dog gets it. All right. Um, I I want to. I know Richard has something he wants to show off, but uh, Ed Ed Snyder, I really wish you could call us on Skype right now. Coco Talk at Coco Talk Live because Ed's got a lot of sidebar conversations. It's hard for me to follow, so let me just try to um, read some of these off real quick. So earlier, Ed was saying that 
There's a limit to how much competition can drive prices down, though, before people just realize they aren't worth producing. Um, and then he says people can choose to go to a higher quality as well, which is the direction I would go. I'm not sure. These are kind of out of order. The marketplace aspect is getting a bit more interesting. I'd like to say that much. Um, and then I guess when you're talking about troubleshooting, Jim, he says timing issues are the most fun. Um, they are. On that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we'd love to have you on, on the call right now, Ed. You are definitely a big part of our hardware universe. Um, so, uh, Richard Lorbieski. Yes. You had posted some pictures in our. Now, my Skype is screwed up. My Skype chat is all kinds of screwed up here. And by the way, we've been averaging about 30 some odd people. We were, we think we peaked at around 33 at one point in time um, on our live view. So do you want me to pull up one of your um, boomerang pictures, Richard, that you had posted? Oh, yeah, I, I posted four of them in the Skype chat because uh, I okay. don't know how to do screen share. I'm not really Skype okay. proficient. That's so, why I pushed them in the chat. So, so right now, this is a picture that, Richard Lorbieski wants us to share with the world right now. And what are we looking at here, Richard? You are looking at the Boomerang 2 meg board. Uh, right there is all your, what you're seeing right there is just the memory board all by itself. Okay. Where are the chips? Uh, it also includes a DAT board uh, with it because the, when you just plug the, the, the memory board itself, it only recognizes 512. It needs, needs the ad additional uh, addressing, uh, which you get out off the CPU board. Okay. So, um, and then there's two wires. If you show the other pictures, it'll show the other two wires hooking up to uh, the CPU as well. Okay. okay, so here's the here's the two jumper wires that are going from the board to like a basically a CPU inline socket right. doohickey. Right. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, all you have to do <laughs> is you just have to remove the 68, uh, 68.09 and put a socket in there. And most people have upgraded their Coco 3s to 6309, and basically all you have to do is just put this satellite board in, put your CPU in, and hook it up, and you get 2 meg. Okay, so there's, there's no way to get 2 megs without this other, I'll call it a controller. Correct. No. If uh, someone hasn't upgraded their CPU yet, but they want to buy the 2 megabyte board, will it work just as a 512 board without that jumper wire going it correct until they yeah. get if you it done. just buy if you just buy the memory board by itself uh it would just be 512 okay and then they and can I'm gonna part later right correct and that uh satellite board doesn't have any protector stuff on it right uh, as a matter of fact it does oh I, cool i did add that into there neat that's uh i mean my 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 feeling about the protector thing uh, is to me, CPUs are five bucks uh, or, or that, and putting the support into there costs more than the five dollars. That's why I kind of like didn't really come up with a, a protector board, you know, at all. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so, but a lot of people want that feature into their in, into this into this product, so I put it in there. Good. I figure if it's if it's worth that much to you, buy a replacement 6809 or 6309, pull the original right. processor out, put it in a static tube, and keep it for when you you know sell the computer right. so you can put it back. Yeah. I think it's more for the users that aren't technically inclined. They don't even want to swap a chip if it's socketed. Like oh, I'll break something, you know, I'll bust yeah. a pin or something. But, but see, yeah, but see, the problem is if uh, if one of the you know as as Jim put it, as a fuse goes, you know, breaks and it it did its job, 
But now you have to replace the board. Or yeah. if you have the expertise to replace one of those surface mount chips. Oh, so if the, when the fuse burns out, then that protector is no longer protecting. Well, it's no longer working. It's no longer, no longer working, so, this, so then the CPU doesn't work. So it basically, it's it takes one for the team. It jumps on the grenade. It yep, sacrifices yep. itself to save the processor, but now it's no longer functional. Right. Hey, Paul, Paul, are you there? No, I, I did. I, I was I was going to come up with a version with uh, that had throughput uh, uh, the regular dip chips yeah, to yeah. where if one went out, you could just easily replace it. Paul, but, how does your protector work? Just isolates the CPU from everything, but it doesn't burn out. If uh, does it? No. Okay. No. Yeah, they all work the same way. It's the same way, same design. Well, of course, what you can always do is recommend you buy a couple more of the uh, boards for the CPU. That way, when one does burn out, you got an easy to put in replacement. Right. Yeah. So what is um, the what is the cost to make a CPU protector versus the cost of the CPU roughly? Uh, production costs, or are you talking about how much they can be sold for? Uh, I mean, I because mean, I'm looking at two point you know two points of view here. Okay, um, Alan, what are you what are you? I mean, Steve, maybe you need to get a little more clarity because I don't think. Richard was selling a, a a protector type board that no. would be Cloud Nine. So right, right, right. So, but but <clears throat> Richard, Richard's statement was that the cost to create this CPU saver is more or comparable to the cost of the CPU itself, right? But so we're we talking. So if I say a CPU is five dollars, does that mean there's at least five dollars worth of product to create the um, protection? The the protection for it. Yeah, it would probably cost. It would cost a little bit more. Yes. So, so the cost of the, the I'm going to call it the protector because we understand what that is. The cost of the protector at this point now is more than the cost of the CPU. Yes. Well, it's, it's a circuit board as well. Right. Is, right. is there a cost savings by merging the DAT and the protector onto one board, or does that not make any difference? Well, the problem is you look at the distance between the CPU and the uh, where the RAM has to go. So it sounds like when you put the protector into anything, the minute that that fuse is burned, that that whole board becomes null and void. Yeah, yeah I think that's. I, well, I mean, I I would say there's it, it has an afterlife in that I assume that you I think I saw that somebody's unit died here a couple months ago and mm. they shipped the board back to Mark and he replaced the chips on it so he unsoldered the chips and soldered them yeah. back on it. So yeah, that, I mean that's the way you can fix it, but you can't. I mean, until somebody replaces chips on the board, it is it right. Is useless. But I, but is this also just a sign of the times now, where the sixty three hundred nines are more plentiful and less expensive? Like, because uh, you know, Cloud Nine's been making products since the nineties, so there was probably a time in the nineties when chips were not as available, and it probably made more sense to get one back then, right? Than maybe it does now financially, or I think it has to do more with the fact that Mark is a. Uh, there's like some sort of I think it's Paul again. He's got something yeah, going Paul, on. Yeah, Paul, you got to <laughs> mute until you talk. And, um I, I think uh Mark's day job is I think doing stuff for defense industry, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. And yeah. so he has a mindset of, you know, I want to I want to prevent things from going bad, right? Sure. I think I think we probably have more of a consumer mindset of 
I want to I want to buy insurance up until the point where the insurance is more expensive than just buying another product, right? Somebody sure, says sure. you go to you go to the home improvement store and they say here's the 1995 cordless drill. Do you want to spend $12 for the extra 3-year warranty and you're like, <laughs> "No. <laughs> yeah. I'll just buy a 1995 drill next year when it breaks." Sure. So, yeah. I think I think that's where the perspective is. I believe Mark truly believes in the protector because he said, "Listen, uh, a CPU is a terrible thing to waste, right? Yeah. Or a terrible thing to not insure. Sure. And I think the reality from probably more of us is, yeah, we probably got three or four of them sitting in our parts box. So not so much of an issue for us. It's an academic issue, but not really a practical issue, maybe. Okay. But, but you know, I don't, I want to be careful that I'm not doing the same thing that I just told people earlier in the year, earlier in the the, in the show that not, you, you don't want to you want to discourage somebody from making something yeah that's right so mark yeah. mark has this product and i think it has value um, oh, no doubt it, it is it would be it would be easier i think on folks if it was probably a little bit less expensive given the fact that the market for 6309 chips um has them priced at like five dollars um in the marketplace so okay. it it may be right it may be back in the 90s when 6309s were more expensive mm-hmm. yeah, they're like 20 to 30 bucks yeah right so maybe it made maybe it was financially a very a very easy call back when he first developed that solution and sure. now it's not quite as economically viable but it's still interesting and in that if you say i never want to have my cpu die then a protector functionality is is mandatory. Maybe what we're seeing here, and and I think what Mark is doing is he's saying, you know what, and, and I'm going to conjecture, but since we saw his prototype at the show, what he's probably saying is, you know what, they might have some validity in their points of having a standalone protector capability. What if I roll that capability into a two meg upgrade, make it like a one size fits all? You know, just I just have to build one thing, and and I get two two pieces of value for it. That's that's what I saw at the at the fest was right. a two for one deal. Right. What do other uh, what do other um, companies do? You know, uh, other machines like Commodore. Do they already have buffered CPUs? No, actually, they don't. No, and they don't have do. replacement chips. So when they somebody fries a, a, a you know fries a chip, then that's a really bad deal. They're all custom chips. No, I blew up a SID chip in my sixty four one time. Yeah, yeah and sad. I and I want to go ahead and say too that none of my goal here has been to um, tear down Cloud Nine. If anything, it's the opposite because they have been the establishment. So I know I'm using them as an example many times because they've been around, but I'm not sitting here trying to t- tear them down a notch. I don't think anybody would question the quality of the products uh, or the or the designs, and definitely to commend the commitment to this community of being around for 20 years to make this stuff so hopefully nothing i've said has been like to what jim brain was saying too we don't want to discourage or um devalue or 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 disappreciate the contributions that people have made but um you know i i i I, I like this hardware discussion and and if 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 we think we've kind of beat it to death on the um you know should we make something that already exists what what is the what's the final verdict so memory exists but memory's needed so nobody does anybody here see is there a, a point of diminishing return with outlets for developing ram solutions for the coca no it's it's to drive the cost down and also to expand beyond the regular 512 or even 2 meg 
then you have some value add for certain specific things. Okay, 16, yeah. 16 ports on a multi-pack. Is that enough? <laughs> I, I think for everybody but David Ladd. It, 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 it better be because it's going to be really hard to put more on. <laughs> um, there's no magic left? <laughs> no. You have to hang, hang them on the side of the we, wall uh, there just straight down. Why don't we... Uh, um, you don't uh, want it looking the, like a... You don't want it looking like a TI ninety nine, right? No one <laughs> no. Besides, when you, start, when you start going over sixteen slots, imagine how big that power supply has got to be. Yeah. yeah, that's when you put it in a PC case. Okay. Uh, another area you might want to explore, Steve, is um, if you look over in the comments on the on the left there, there's one there by Beyond Redemption it says what? There's a two meg upgrade. I just bought my 512K, grr. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Antonio. That, that may raise another issue, I mean, uh, about the hardware again, um, people creating hardware, and then you, you just bought something which you feel is the is the bee's knees. Uh-huh. Next thing you know, someone's brought out something better and cheaper, and then uh, I'm, ne- I'm never going to buy another Cocoa product again. Forget Nick, it. It's a waste well, of Nick, sense, uh, that's uh, every computer, everything in the computer industry. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Can I, can exactly. I jump in? That's another for... topic I, I think we probably should cover as well. I just saw that comment there, and I yeah. thought, well, what about, about that? Go uh, ahead, Richard. Yeah, Go actually, ahead, Richard. I gonna, I, I, I'd be more than happy to answer that. Uh, people that have bought into the Boomerang, uh, uh, I am going to be offering an upgrade special. Um, for them, so they will be buying at a very reduced cost uh, on the two meg board. Oh, now, does cool. that go through Jim's return policy thing? <laughs> 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 but uh, Richard, yes, feature creep. It should be eight megs. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in a real time clock. I forgot. Yes. Yes. Programmable and a sound pilot. chip. Yeah. Can and sound, a sound sound chip. And a blitter. And a sprite, yeah. Sprite generator. But not any sound chip that anybody else has sent for the code. Right. It has to be oh, different. Okay. You, I, don't, I am you don't need sprites. You need a blitter. Yeah. Steve, so let's go through you, the... We'll, we'll give you a week. So, Steve, next, Paul? Next Cocoa Fest. Next Cocoa Talk. Have it ready. Right. I think Steve. it would be interesting to understand from Paul whether he is going to... He, he talked earlier about... He thought maybe there was marketplace for two meg board, but not necessarily eight. Be interesting to understand if Paul's going to continue and finish up his two meg, um, you know, with the DAT capability because we know Mark is working on one. Richard is has one here, and if Paul has one, this will make for a pretty interesting second half of the year with three products that appear to do equivalent functionality. And so, what what as a consumer, what do you do in that situation? You have three products that work, provide a capability. Um, how do you decide which product is the one that you wish to purchase? And I know cost is some part of it, but is there are there other considerations? Well, obviously, it's got to be the color of the circuit board if it matches the decor of your computer room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, who you like? There's always that. Okay. If all okay, things are Gmail. equal, <laughs> if all things are equal, mm-hmm. which one do you choose? Right. And I'm not. I'm not necessarily suggesting that we give answers on the call. Yeah, I, that's that's a good. That's a good. <clears throat> yeah. A good. Yeah. I just think it's a very interesting question to see how how the community is going to react with the sudden the sudden capability to expand your Coco well, Three to two megabytes of memory three different ways. 
What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we've put together a pretty good show for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear from you. Okay, now there was an earlier question from Boise. I think it was directed towards Richard. He says, ask Richard, what is the status of those of us who paid for boomerangs but haven't received them yet? Oh, mm-hmm. actually, yeah, I just responded to that, and that's actually a good question. I I did not ship his board out yet because I was delaying, because uh, I was coming out with a newer version of the board. And so with uh, Boise, because he and there's two other people, uh, they will have the choice either I can ship them a board immediately, mm-hmm. you know, or uh, if they want to wait, uh, they can get a newer version. I'll ship either one. You know, the, the, the newer Boomerang 512, you know, it would be a 2 meg, but they would just get the 512 out of it. Okay. Okay. And he says, thanks, no problem. But I'm not sure yeah. what his No, I, I, I understand that. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's... All right, so I know Ron was going to do a whole other segment, but I think we've been going on pretty long, so we might need to save that segment. But I I would like to switch topics for one more second now without getting into feature creep and backseat driving and things like that. We we have been talking about the fact that, well, there's some repetitive hardware, right? So now we're going to have three different options for 2 meg and 8 meg. How do you choose from there? Is there a statute of limitations on when you should make something? Is there holy ground that you shouldn't touch that we should make or not make? We've kind of touched on some of those, but we we have established that there's lots of lots of ways to get memory. Um, what do we not have right now that is realistically a want or a need um, that maybe somebody who wants to take up designing a product might think about i've got some ideas that i'll throw out but i wanted to see if anybody else had um let's be realistic about something that might be nice to have that's not over engineered and you know the whole nine yards (laughs) beyond redemption and chats as a web browser (laughs) to to the products that that i am in development of uh one of them is a real-time clock and that's just I, i know and that's just something for me you know but Me too. The, the other product that I am in development is a keyboard adapter. Um, I know that Mark Millett has his, uh, uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it, to where it replaces the Mylar with, with uh, actual key switches, which is actually awesome. And I would recommend people to buy that. It's, it's a good product. Uh, but I don't like the Coco keyboard. It's just to me, it's too small to type on, and that's why I'm. I want to do a keyboard adapter, but it also supports Bluetooth as well. Okay, so how is that going to interface with the Coco? Does it go in line where you can still use the existing keyboard, or is it? Yes, yes. Now it, it it's actually not too difficult to integrate a Bluetooth into you know into the Coco with with the existing keyboard. The problem is, you know, development is the easy part. It's coming up with a production version that is economical enough where people are willing to buy it. So that's that's going to be the challenge, and to where it's inside the cocoa, to where you can actually configure it, and without having tearing it apart or anything. Would so does that mean you could take any generic theoretically take any generic Bluetooth keyboard, pair it to your cocoa? 
with this new miracle device and then it's going to work and does it handle all the keyboard translations where when I press shift on my new keyboard it translates to shift 2 on the Coco keyboard things like that yeah that is that's that's another one of those challenges it's actually very easy to translate the keyboards it's just uh, you know having to do the special characters and also getting used to like the shift uh, 2 which is a, a quotation on mm-hmm. the Coco keyboard versus an at symbol right uh, so yeah, you have to you have to worry about those kind of things. And I know somebody was talking about is talking about USB keyboard. The the problem you could do that as well, but the reason I would prefer doing the Bluetooth is because then you don't have to drill holes into your existing keyboard or not your keyboard, but your Coco case. Your case, okay. So this is something that goes internal, so there's no no right no scarring of the of the case. Right, no, you just no plug it in. Of it, yeah. Right, plug it in, turn it on, configure Cocoa it. Cocoa Pie has it. Yeah. <laughs> Cocoa Pie. Well, that's not a Cocoa, though. <laughs> that's that's a not a Cocoa. Yeah. yeah. Emulator. Um, yeah. So, so that's, an interesting, that's an interesting notion there because at that point you open up the ability to theoretically use any keyboard you want on your Cocoa. And that, to right. me, is one of the limitations is, is working on that keyboard, too. Um, yeah, and... Yeah, and, and because I know that Mark Marlette was he he uh, addressed the problem with you know you have a lot of dead keyboards out there that because the mylar has just gone sure, out and it's, sure. it's just too expensive to replace. Yeah. So he came up with an awesome solution. So. Yeah. Um. Anybody else got some wish list hardware? Uh, that I have. Um, I think one of the best, uh, most sought after upgrades we could do with on the coco is an accelerator even if we could just take the coco 3 from 2 megahertz to 4 megahertz that would make a big difference because the added speed would allow you to do so much more even sprites and stuff would be much easier to do if the machine ran at least twice as fast now we know that the coco 3 can't be upgraded beyond 1.79 megahertz due to the gimme chip. The gimme chip is what's tying it down. So um, we already are seeing in development a new gimme chip, and that that is probably going to be um, the the most revolutional upgrade that I would want anyway on the the Coco Three that unbottles the slow the 1.79 megahertz, uh, and technically you could go beyond. Uh, Four megahertz. I don't know how fast the FPGAs can go, but that would be a very valuable upgrade. But that's only going to happen with the new gimme chip. Okay. Earlier, well, and that, and Ed's, Ed's working on that as, um, at the moment. Hey Nick, that back yeah. in the day in the '80s, there was actually a couple companies for the Apple that made basically overclocked 6502s right. for the Apple. They had four and eight megahertz stations that would run, and they basically yeah. had one megahertz circuitry, so they would. Yeah, it's overclocking like the six DX two sixty. The zip chip. Yeah, zip chip. Yeah. The, the problem yeah. is on and, the Coco. And a matter of fact, and matter of fact, um, Apple actually licensed that for the. Uh, Apple two C plus. Who is making all that noise? Good heavens. Um, Apple two C plus. Yeah. Yeah, the two C plus. They uh, actually licensed it, and you can replace the RAM chips in a two C plus, and the uh, second clock that it uses for to clock it and people have clocked that up to 16 megahertz and it and it basically 
works by um, having a built-in cache. And now, that, that, would, yeah. that would be the one way to avoid the, uh, the problems, you know, dealing with the gimme speed. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, anytime you enter a loop, you, you know, it, it's going to speed things up considerably. And, and most, I, I don't know, what was it, a 4K? I think it was a 4K um, cache. That was 8K total. But yeah. 8K? Yeah, I think it's oh, 8K. Oh, I think it was 4, 4K of cache and then 4K K of... Tags. Tags. Tag. Yeah. 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 Um, I, and that would that would probably be the best approach, but the, the real trick with developing cache is, you know, you've got the MMU where the Apple had a simple memory paging system and it ha would have to keep track of of uh, every time you write to a register on the MMU it would have to keep a copy of that so it would know if RAM is cached or not. Another thing that can be done in modern uh, is they have a bunch of uh, FPGAs that have been targeted you know, for various processors and so theoretically you could have an FPGA and you could have it overclocked Know, 68 or 9. Yeah. 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 So that'd be cool because that'd be okay. just hardware, software design, basically. Turbo charger. Um, yeah, and at that point, you might as well expand it, like not just emulate the 6809 or 6309, start adding in some stuff creep. for doing blitting and all kinds of things. Oh, Fe the... Feature creep, feature creep, hashtag feature creep. <laughs> yeah. Creature freep. Yeah. Um, no, value yeah, add. Do, do it right. Well, uh, I can I can tell you another project I'm also working on. I actually I'm going to release this as a video, but uh, this is the uh, the SCART uh, thing. You know, the switcheroo type. Yeah. Is uh, I'm going to show how to modify your uh, SCART conversion box uh, to where you can add the switch onto there, and so then you don't have to have use the USB cable uh, that comes on any of the SCART products that I sell, and of course Coco Man sells as well. But I, I don't actively make those cables anymore. Uh, more Jason makes those. But yeah, I was I was going to have the, the the switch on there. Hmm. So custom custom. Now would that would that SCART to HDMI box still work if you had other systems too? Yes. So it wouldn't lose its mm -hmm. functionality for. No, it wouldn't lose its function at all. Okay. Yeah, it's just basically if you want to switch to the the problem with the with the Coco SCARTs is that it needs a five volt line. Right. Right, and this way I eliminate that uh, with this mod onto the box itself, and you so have the five a, volts a, coming from the box. Correct, and you can just toggle that. Correct. Okay. And yeah, I was just going to release that as a video, and that's okay. For, so that becomes a DIY. Somebody wants to modify their, their right skirt box. Right, and then and then their existing cables that they have, they don't need to throw them away. They just don't have to plug them into the USB or whatever five volt source anymore. Okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, is there no um, upgrade needed for the sixty-eight forty-seven in the future if they do a new gimme? Uh, it doesn't have a sixty-eight forty-seven. You know the um, the, the video chip. chip. Well, the, video the gimme chip. is the video chip. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, 6847 <laughs> is the video what chip I mean, on the Coco 1 well, and 2. Right, but what I mean is the um, can they do more color? Can they do more? I mean, the VGA um, 
thing has some different colors, right? Coco VGA, yeah. Um, yeah. The new gimme chip, I think, uh, that Ed's working on will do all that. Higher higher pallets? Registers. Like, yeah. 640 by 480 in the future? Um, well, it's going to have VGA output, so that's uh, VGA output straight from the new gimme chip, so I, I assume he'll be able to do VGA. Yeah, whatever Ed's going to be using for his core chip, I mean, that's one thing you don't want to underpower. Like, I would go over rather than under, and and you can add functionality from reprogramming it later without having to re-upgrade the hardware if, you know, something happens in the future when we decide to add some more functionality we haven't thought of yet. So you well, see, still are backward compatible. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. To be backward compatible, you can't increase the res resolution because it's designed to um, access the memory at a certain speed. Now, if you have a modern 512K upgrade board that can be accessed faster, faster, that's a different story. Right. And you're going to just have to have total replacement of the onboard memory and the gimme. Right. Yeah. Or, or severely limit your modes. Like you could probably do a 640 by 400 if you limited it to two color because then you don't have to access it any faster mm -hmm. than a 640 by 200 by four color. Hopefully, there's a uh, lot of there's a lot of cascade of problems when you start changing things, though. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it, you're when you're getting to doing stuff like that, um, you're you know like the Coco FPGA projects um, are are really well suited to do that sort of thing already. Mm -hmm. I have. Um, yeah, uh, fax is calling. I have some hopefully simpler um, projects that might be accomplished by somebody that don't require overclocking or anything else. But the way I see it, I think there is a shortage right now in modern color computer game controllers. And I think this is should be an easy enough project to work on. But what I, what I see would be kind of neat to have is something like what I would call a deluxe joystick on steroids where it's self-centering but still analog but you know better construction and then having two fire buttons that are like arcade buttons not the little spring-loaded clicky things that are on the current deluxe one so um, something like that where you could go completely freewheeling or it could be like an arcade stick uh, have the best of both worlds that would be kind of cool uh, I can't imagine that being too hard with over-the-counter parts and materials to produce and it should plug right into the same six pin din or whatever it is and just work um, so something like that I think you know um, would be kinda cool after playing clowns and balloons recently I was thinking that an actual real paddle would be very cool to have an actual Atari style paddle that's uh, just a potentiometer that lets you move your games back and forth that would work for a number of games like popcorn and clowns and balloons and a few others um, Arkanoid. Arkanoid you know, so Polaris. Uh, uh, well, we need we need two of them. Then you need a trackball for yeah. Polaris. I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting towards trackball. You know what I mean? But a few things like that. So a really good, uh, you know, super deluxe joystick, a paddle would be cool. A trackball, a modern trackball would be kind of cool. Um, and I, I think you know, mechanically and electronically, these shouldn't be too hard to make for somebody who knows how to make hardware and inter interface them with the Coco. You know. Well, it's not so much making the hardware it's making the case 
the items that go in the case mm. and the joystick. Yeah, Those yeah. are the issues. Okay. That's why it's probably better to take something that's been manufactured for a while, looks like it could be manufactured for a few years, and use that and have an interface that converts that guy over. Okay, like like converting an Xbox controller over to the Coco or something like that, right? Like, like exactly. David's mouse adapter or something. Yeah. Well, so. the, a lot of people have come out with these NES controllers uh-huh. um, that plug into a PC. It shouldn't be too hard to convert those. VR goggles for the Coco. VR goggles. <laughs> um, Alan had a set yeah, at the show. Yeah. So that might. So I don't know if that's if that's something that makes sense to mass produce or that's become somebody's pet project. But um, I'd still like to see something like that. And maybe if I ever get into hardware, that might be something I would work on down the road. Because it seems like if you can get the right switches and the right pots and know what your voltages are, it should be fairly straightforward to ghetto splice this contraption together. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's always things like a mouse. Take a modern mouse. Yeah. That's a PS2. Yeah. And put a little circuit on there that as you move the mouse, it generates the zero to five volts that it needs. Yeah. David Ladd already did that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they're pretty slick. Yeah. That's why I was plugging you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I think people's wants and needs are motivated by what interests them, too. So obviously, you've heard my. My desire is for game controllers because I like to play games. Or Nick Morentes is looking for a super fast processor because he wants to develop better games. So I think a lot of times the the desire is for each person is unique to what you know what what itch they they need to scratch themselves. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about hardware today. (laughs) And this is starting to become one of the longest shows. Yeah. So I don't know, but I mean, we're still talking. So it's obviously we've been, we've been interested by it and, um, and the audience, we're still holding strong at 30 viewers right now. So um, this is cool, but we're probably going to want, we're going to, we're going to wind this one down now, but um, okay. I don't know if we accomplished all the objectives, but we at least talked Um, about it. <laughs> I still have my little video for oh, um, yes. Artifact. It's yeah. only short, so go ahead, Nick. We can end on that. Yeah, if we can we end on that with the hardware talk. Yeah, we're going to end on a high note. Um, oh. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just share the um, the video. Hang on. Um, uh, wait till I find it. Well, while he's doing that, I was going to say about the boomerang board, the newer one, the E2 version, uh, is going to be available uh, very, very soon. I'm not going to put an exact date on it, but it is in final production. Okay. Excellent. Awesome. So what are we looking at here, Nick? I see Zaxxon. Okay, so can you see Zaxxon? Okay. This is Zaxxon by some fellow. I'm not sure who he is, but um, it's a... Coco two game, Coco one and two game, so it uses artifacting. Well, this is what it looks like on a PAL uh, color computer. So it's going to start in a minute. Ooh. Full color. Now, if you look carefully at the uh, the background there, see the striping. Yes. Per, uh, green and purple. 
Yeah. That's it. That's that's artifact colours. That's what we used to always see um, back in the eighties when on any of the any game that used artifacting. Uh-huh. Uh, this is this is all we saw. Wow. Um, literally Pretty... black and white, which technically that that is really all the colour computer is generating. It's only a black and white mode, uh-huh. mode four. But we don't get the artifacting, um, which is uh, a feature uh, of NTSC's poorer quality video, I guess. Sure. I have to say the letters now, look better, though. Yeah, the text looks nice and crisp. Well, it's more black and white, I guess. Yeah. And, and here's another one. This is Sailor Man. Um, and, of course, when Sailor Man starts up, you get this screen that says, <laughs> if screen is red, Hit enter key. If screen is blue, hit clear key. Well, so it's neither. So which one do I hit? <laughs> Does it change? So, uh, no, it doesn't. That's it. <laughs> That's all you get. So, and the game itself looks like crap. Yeah. <laughs> but it still looks like, but just, yeah, no color. It's inconsistent, so that, yeah. Yeah. But it, all you saw was the green and purple vertical stripes and for years i always wondered what the hell is it that the the americans are on because now here is the ntsc version and of course we can straight away with zaxon see the red the red um text and blue text Uh and the game itself of course color well it's still really only black and white but artifacting Uh is giving you the two extra colors. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that came up in Facebook this week, too. What does PAL look like now that we've seen it? Well, yeah. And you get more complex artifacting with things like uh, Pegasus and the Phantom Riders. Yeah, yeah, you get a a few more. So how were you able to see what the program actually looked like back in the day? Well, it's... In the it's, magazine? Uh, well, it still came up, but it was in black and white. It's literally the same as what you see on a Coco 3 when you're running RGB. Mm. It's just black and white. We, I used to turn the color down on the uh, TV, so I got none of the uh, the banding of colors, the, the purple and the green. I, did, I just made it all black and white. So mm. it was literally like running it on a Coco 3. Yeah, anyway. you did. You did have controllable artifacting for PAL. It just it was done differently. So well, you had to yes, and I, I actually did try to record that, uh, so I can show that on this demo. But it doesn't work. It seemed to work back in the day on an old crappy RF TV. Uh-huh. But I tried it on a uh, a PAL uh, composite TV. But it, they must be better quality nowadays because I couldn't get the, the artifacting. Uh, it just relied on the on the poor quality of RF to mix the colours correctly. So yeah, it wasn't reliable enough. Wow. Okay. So, so on the one hand, it looks like PAL is a better quality um, picture processing because it's filtering out uh, the artifacts. Artifacts were basically well, no, no, it's not. What it is, filtering. it's the poor quality of NTSC that yeah. generates the artifacting the errors artifacting is errors basically so ntsc throws up more errors if you want to call it call it that so that's yeah. how you get the extra colors pal is more 
accurate, I guess. So it's yeah. closer to the original signal, which is black and white. RGB on a color computer is, of course, the ultimate accurate. That's why it is totally black and white. Yeah. So, yeah, see, NTSC requires a lower bandwidth mm. as far as the data coming across uh, to have the image show up correctly. When you go beyond that bandwidth, uh, that's when we get it. A common problem here in the States was back in the days when Johnny Carson, you know, 60s and 70s, he would wear a suit and it hadn't been checked out for NTSC broadcast yet because it would have all these uh, lines in it, really tart, start patterns. It looked great when he was close, when he was closed up, but when he was far away, his black and white suit was very colorful. <laughs> <laughs> he was artifacting, huh, Johnny Carson? He was, the, he was the artifacting. Artifact Tonight Show host. That's pretty funny. After after a month or two, they had every suit he came on. They had to do a test with it first. Yeah. Because he was a hipster. <laughs> well, I, I hope that some of the takeaways that we have from this, and, uh, and again, I'm, I'm not, I've never meant to imply that anybody was or wasn't doing anything, but I don't want to, I don't want to imply that person X is disparaging person Y, but I would like to shine a light on that to say that hopefully we do embrace people's projects and say, listen, if you want to do a project, you know, scratch your itch and let's not be too critical about it. Let's let people make the hardware they want to make. Um, when it comes to having choices, I think we've all agreed that choices are good. Um, I think there can be a, become a supply chain challenge, and we are seeing some supply chain challenges in some areas, like in 3D printed cases and stuff. So, Cocoa SDCs. Cocoa SDCs, right. So having more than one outlet for something is good. Um, and I think the moral of the story is, is um, you know, just want to make sure that as a community, we all recognize that we're all doing things for this hobby and to inject things, you know, for for everybody to enjoy. So let's let's not lose sight of that and get too critical. Um, let's make sure we're just as supportive as we can be. And and I think most of us here all kind of share that philosophy, yep. which is good. Um, True. Uh, but yeah, we definitely beat this one to death, I think, for today. But it's it's good. Uh, it's been interesting, and we've you know we we've kept it going for ourselves. We've kept it going for the audience. So obviously, it was an interesting topic. Um, but let's let's I'd wrap it up. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Sorry, James. Go ahead. I I posted my wish list over on uh, on uh, Discord already for hardware. So. Okay. If any if anybody cares, they can go and look at the Coco Talk section over on Discord. And that actually brings up a good point: is that if you want more on the subject, go to Discord. There, most of the hardware folks, they're over there. Give them your two cents. Yeah. Just make sure it's at least worth two cents. Right. <laughs> yeah. Constructive criticism with tact. That's basically yes. what I would say. Mm -hmm. yeah. Diplomacy. All right. Cool. So let's wrap it up. Parting, Grant Leedy, you've been awfully quiet today, but you got your puppy with you. Greg, do you copy? Greg Skype's coming in and out. So, Grant, you copy? Yeah, I got the Coco Dog. You guys got the Coco, Coco Cats, I got the Coco Dog. Excellent. So, uh, how did you enjoy today's show? You've been kind of quiet. Everything good? Yep, everything's awesome. All right. And that's a song, too. Um, <laughs> Curtis Boyle. Maker of software, not of hardware, but you, yeah. um, how's this show been for you today, Curtis? Any? Solderer of hair. Um, 
parting thoughts? I uh, no, it was good to have the discussion because I, I I totally agree with the kind of the consensus we got at the end there. We should try to encourage people to do projects, especially if it's just for their own purpose, uh-huh. you know, their own purposes as opposed to trying to be commercial. You can do some constructive criticism, but you know, be tactful about it. Don't be a jerk. And um, I, I'm I'm interested to see what some of the other you know opinions are on what other hardware and software should be coming up. Uh, in the future so that we don't get you know so much duplication of, of certain things um, mm-hmm. especially if they're competing standards like some of the sound stuff has been <coughs> right um, i mean memory you can only really do one way it's just you know who can come up with the best designs but okay it's been a very interesting discussion cool ron delvo the person who started all of this you instigator yeah sorry <laughs> that's all right uh, I'm, I'm, you know i i don't have a whole lot of knowledge of hardware or software but i'm a user <laughs> yeah so. me too me too how it goes yeah i'll go on record i will go on record by saying i appreciate all the contributions both hardware and software that come to the community because without them i would not have things to enjoy so i appreciate the fact that people are making stuff so all we'd have is tandy and we'd ask ourselves (laughs) why did they do that Here's no, a guy. we would we would actually be enjoying our ibm pcs with windows 3.1 <laughs> and deskmate and Coco deskmate Coco man parting thoughts parting thoughts uh well uh it's been a very interesting discussion and uh what else can i say but uh you know, and and I actually, as far as uh, switcheroo scart cables go, I'm actually caught up at this point. I have, uh, I've got a, I just uh, got the last one done today, so they're always they're they're available for people who want them, and uh, that that's that's uh, that there at uh, cocoman.biz. And uh, other than that, uh, that that's all I have. All right, good, 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 good. Steve Bjork, maker of hardware and software. <laughs> yeah, known for the software, but I do a lot of hardware. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a good discussion, but as I said, let's continue it over on Discord through the week. There you go. Nick Morentes. Yeah, it was a great show um, today. Um, I particularly liked the David Lag- Ladd segment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on. No, there wasn't one. Oh, that's probably what I like. <laughs> You're so mean. Remember we said be supportive, Ouch. Nick. You're not being supportive. Well, we didn't even talk about <laughs> floppies, did we, today? Um, I mean, if somebody really wanted to be competitive, a competing Coco SDC product, that would be competitive because that is a juggernaut of a product. Um, Richard Lorbieski, parting thoughts, maker of hardware. Uh, hey, it was a great discussion, and uh, like I had mentioned, the the – Boomerang E2 is going to be available, like I said, in final production. I mean, I'm sending off the the boards to be manufactured, and parts okay. are on their way. So it should be very, very soon that they will be available to the public. Do you have a projected street price for this product when it's available? Street price. Uh, each component, the memory is going to be $29. The CPU is going to be $29. You can buy them both for 49 Okay, so for fifty bucks, you're going to get a two meg upgrade. Correct. That's competitive. And that, that also includes the CPU. If you oh. don't have a CPU. Oh, like an actual sixty three hundred nine will be in that socket. Yes, oh, but wow. of course, yeah. Now, if you want that installed, uh, you can send it to me, and I will install it for you. So there you go. All right, Mark Overholzer, you're somewhat of a hardware guy yourself. Somewhat, yeah. 
I'm a software guy. All right. Uh, so. Great show. Uh, just man, all the hardware talk and you know, everybody talking about what they're working on and hashing out some of this stuff. I think uh, it's all good. Good, good, good. James Diffendaffer. I think it was a great discussion. Um, it we also need to. I mean, we only barely touched on some of the software issues like uh, standards, which is kind of an evil, <laughs> maybe necessary evil topic that we should cover at some point. Okay. But uh, it was a really good discussion. Okay. All right. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, shoot, almost four hours. We're, we're going for a marathon here. Three hours, 42 minutes right now on the live stream. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the closing credits too. We're just gonna uh, we're just gonna put the brakes on this, mm-hmm. and I just want to say thank you to the 27 people who are still with us. We've had a lot of people with in the in the live chat today. Karen Anscombe has shown up recently. Sixie's been here. Nick Marota's still here. We had Ed Snyder here earlier. Al Hartman, Mr. Robot Shop. Eric Canales, Dave Phillipson has been in here. Beyond Redemption, who is um, uh, Antonio Jimenez. Uh, John Linville. John Linville said for his wish list item, he would be looking for a Cocoa to Dragon conversion kit. Uh, Boise Pete was here. Boyson Tech was here. Ken Reichert's been here. Ed Snyder, I think I mentioned that. Wayne Aaron. Mark Overholzer. Coco Man. Um, a lot of people in the chat today. A lot of people still watching us live. Um, so thank you all. It's been, I think it's definitely been an engaging show. Um, so Everybody that somebody was here. Yeah, and... and <laughs> And everybody who's nobody was here too, so <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's a complete it's a complete <laughs> everything. All right, so I'm just going to close by saying goodbye, Coco forever. Thank you all. I I'm, my wife's cooking. I can smell the food. So my <laughs> m- my motivation right now is to hit the stop button on this and go eat. So we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we're gonna forego the closing credits. But as you mentioned, uh, we'll carry this on in Discord. So hopefully, I'll run into some of you guys later. And thank you all. And this has been Coco Talk episode 64, and I hope you all enjoyed it. So thank you all. Good night and goodbye. God bless. Later, all. Bye. Bye. Good night. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvoe, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Boyson Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N tech.com. Get your own switcheroo at cocoman.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, 
CocoTalkTech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvo, and Jason Reichert. Production motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shalar. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. 